Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be a challenge as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company, went to ZipRecruiter, posted her job, found the right person in less than two weeks. With results like that, no wonder four to five employers are posted on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by Square. More than a credit card reader, a whole system of tools built to help you grow your business from online stores to access to business loans. Go to square.com slash go slash BS to see how you can take your business from square one to whatever's next. Loan subject to credit approval and issued by Celtic Bank. Member FDIC. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find The Ryan Rosillo Show, which I actually went on this week and uh, on today, actually, it's gonna, it was already up by the time this one went up, but you can hear me talk about uh, all kinds of stuff with him. We hadn't gotten together in a while. So if you miss hearing me and Russell on this podcast, go to his podcast. You can hear it. Rewatchables 1999 on Luminary. We did Never Been Kissed this week, which might be the worst movie of the last 20 years. We never do bad rewatchables. We did one in that case. And then our new podcast, The Hottest Take, only on Spotify. People really seem to like this. We uh, we had some good ones this week. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Seven minutes, the perfect podcast for the shower. It is. Put it put it on, hop in the shower, shampoo, soap yourself, little hottest take going on. It's a great way to spend seven minutes. Coming up, here's the plan. We have Mallory Rubin doing Mallory's Most Intriguing. We have Joe House and I are going to do Million Dollar Picks. And then... Out of nowhere, Beto O'Rourke, political candidate. He's coming on. It's less of a politics podcast and more of a what's it like to run for president. And uh, I was, I really was fascinated by this. I learned a lot. So he's the third guest on this. That's all coming up first. Our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, it's Thursday afternoon, which means Mallory Rubin is here. Hello. She does Mallory's most intriguing every Thursday. Favorite segment of her dad. What's it's your true. dad's name? Barry Lee Rubin. Barry Rubin's favorite segment. <laughs> Mallory's most intriguing. <laughs> Count them down from five to one. Who's number five? Number five. Little treat for you. Yeah. A baseball enthusiast. Baseball home stretch. The final week of the regular season heading into the playoffs, what should we watch? Okay. Okay. We got three teams who have already clinched. Five of six divisions are, in essence, completely locked up. Yeah. The team that is in the iffiest spot there is Minnesota and the AL Central, and even they have a 98% chance on fan graphs. So we're really looking at three things in the final week. One, the NL Central, the only division race that's really still up for grabs, and then both wild card races, which are actually setting up on the heels of a, you know, we both love baseball, but let's be honest, quite a dull baseball season. Oh, my God. We might have a fun final week, which I think would be an invigorating way to enter the playoffs. So, Well, Drew Pomeranz is a closer on a potential playoff <laughs> team, so that, if that doesn't make it a fun final week, I don't know what does. You know what they say. It's not what you want. (laughs) (laughs) You literally hate to see it, Bill. Wow. (laughs) So NL Central. Here's what people should be watching for. St. Louis is in the lead. Okay. We might have the Cardinals. 
Best fans in baseball, not sure if you've heard. We might have the Cardinals back in the playoffs at last, but the Cubs and the Brewers are both three back. Obvious uh, caveat to this entire baseball discussion is that we're, we're chatting in the middle of the afternoon here. There will be games tonight. Some of these numbers will change, but the, the, the general picture is, is the same. The Cardinals and the Cubs play six times in the final nine games. So that's awesome. Whenever you have a division race Jesus. shaking out that way with the prospect for a head-to-head shakeup, three of those are at Wrigley. That's this weekend. And then three at Bush next weekend. That is going to be a lot of fun. The Cubs, in addition to having the Cardinals twice, get the Pirates, but they don't have Anthony Rizzo the rest of the regular season. It seems like if they make the playoffs, he'll be back, but he's dealing with the ankle injury, so they're going to be without one of their best players. The Cardinals have the Cubs twice, and then the Diamondbacks, which is, you know, that's pretty favorable for locking things up. Donnie Kwok, our ringer colleague, his cousin, Tommy Edmond, yeah, playing regular He's involved in minutes for the St. Louis Cardinals and is probably going to be in the playoffs. That's incredible. So that's a fun thing for the ringer. Brewers have the easiest road here. They get the Pirates, the Reds, and the Rockies. But they're missing their but best player. But they're missing Yelich. So that's the question. So he's we out can't for the see year. him in mid-October? No, he's, I mean, broken kneecap. So he's done. We're not going to see him again. Kobe Bryant would be back. He would, he would have gone to Italy by now. It would be astounding if we saw Can he use somebody Christian else's Yelich kneecap? <laughs> I mean, it's baseball. They tend to figure those things out. In some way. And a wild card. Nationals are currently in the lead. And then basically the two NL Central runners up. So the Brewers and the Cubs at the moment are in the mix. Technically, the Phillies and the Mets are alive, which is incredible. The Diamondbacks are actually still alive, too. But we're pretty much talking about the Nats and then which one of those NL Central teams. So the Nationals get Miami next. Got to sweep that. Got to sweep that because then they have a five-game series against the Phillies. That'll be fun. Five game series. Four days, a double header in the mix there. I can't believe you took advantage of me by coming on my podcast and talking about September baseball. It's one of the rare years where I have the pleasure of talking about uh, the prospect of playoff baseball with you and the Red Sox are not going to be... Uh, Do you think they're not going to be coming up here, folks? Are they're people not using the, the fifteen-second button to fast forward, or just the thirty-second button, waiting until they hear a football name? I think there's a chance that they're delighted that you have to suffer through a baseball uh, conversation when the Boston Red Sox are not going to be in the, the baseball playoffs. Did you know I, that? Did you know that the Red Sox aren't going to make the playoffs? Listen, that, you can't win the World up? Series every year, but you can win it four out of fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> AL wild card, very quickly. I have a baseball A's, team in the playoffs, though. Anyone who's playing the Yankees is my team. Well, I have so, a built-in team each series. Okay, so then that's something you should be looking at. I am. I've looked at it. Yankees and Astros, obviously they're both in the playoffs, but there's a home field. There's a home field race there. Looks like the Astros are probably going to lock that up. I don't up. feel like home field probably matters. Probably doesn't matter. I, do you feel like home field matters in baseball anymore? Not really, I guess. But. I actually sometimes think it can be counterproductive. Like at the Dodgers games, I actually thought it was bad for them that those games in the World Series last year their fans are like so beaten down at this point that when things flipped, you could kind of feel it in the park. Yeah. I they guess actually would have been better off probably playing on the road. There's something about this Astros team in particular, though, where it just feels like so easy to envision the script playing out in your head where Verlander throws a no hitter for the final game to clinch it at home or something. I don't know. I could see that happening pretty they're, easily. They're, they're pretty impressive. I don't trust Asuna, though. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the the big picture baseball things I look at are Pete Alonso hitting 50 home runs. Here we well, go. The Mets making it would be really fun just for the wild card game because those games are always pretty, pretty lacking. Um, yeah, I mean the AL wild card game is going to be the A's against either the Rays or Cleveland, probably. But this Dodgers decade, yeah. Now we're coming to an end of it where they've been 
in a weird way, kind of the team of the decade because they've been relevant the whole time. They've done the most interesting things. They've spent the most money and yet just could not get over the hump. And I think their fans are now hitting this. I, I was saying they reminded me of the Mavericks fans during the tail end of the Dirk era before he won the title. Right. Where it's like, they all kind of seem to think like, has the window passed on us? Like, is this ever going to happen? Kershaw's, the, the arrow's going down on him and... I, I could actually see this being the year that they won. That's that's the thing, because it felt like entering the season, that was a narrative around them is, okay, Kershaw is dipping off. Did they already miss the window, you know, not winning either the last couple of years? But they're sitting here with a week left in the, the week and a half left in the regular season, so they already have 98 wins. Like, right. I mean, But do you think Cody their fans Bellinger, trust them? I would say no. I think probably not, because they've suffered through this so many times before. I mean, we're talking about a three-decade drought here for a title. That said... The Cody Bellinger thing is real. Like you look at a team that has Cody, Cody Bellinger is going to win the MVP almost definitely. I mean, he's, I think he's that, the only real MVP we're going to have this year because the other MVP is going to be Mike Trout on a terrible Angels team that nobody will ever remember five minutes from now. They won't remember that Angels team, but they'll remember everything Mike Trout did. So change the name of the award, make it the best individual performance because that's what it is. We're not voting for most valuable player. You can't be most valuable for a team that fucking sucks. It's ridiculous. And then it's like, wow, you you don't you got to embrace the advanced metrics. No, I don't. <laughs> what does the word valuable mean? Valuable means that you're the best at what you do. No, it doesn't. And you you help no. in as many ways as anybody can. The yeah. difference between, but it's not like he his team make- is unhelpable. So why are we rewarding that? His team stinks, no matter how good he is. So why does that get an award? Because I don't he understand is- it. Uh, he chose to nev- resign there. Never happened in baseball history. He's he, going to he be the best baseball to player of all there. time. He chose to stay there. He made his choice. His team stinks. So you think if he's doing what he's doing on the Red Sox, then it's all worth the sign off and you have it fully sanctioned. Mike Trout is the MVP. I just think get rid of the award. It, that the MVP is not the MVP. It's most, it's best individual performance. That's a different award. But you are a rational person. I am. And so you can you can separate the semantics of one word and the name of the award from I the intent of what it is. Because the whole point of most valuable is that I'm supposed to interpret that how I want to interpret it because they've intentionally left it murky. But but you just you just made my point for me. If you're supposed to interpret it the way you want to interpret it, as, it, who is the most valuable to a team who pushed them over the top and made them relevant? No, 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 the no. The angels no, are no. irrelevant. You can't make both of those points at once. Yes, I can. You can't. I just either, did. <laughs> no, it's either the the strict, rigid, like originalist interpretation, which is it's about whether your team wins and whether you made the playoffs, period, or it's the That's nature me. of the name and the award is open to interpretation, which is how you get to the modern sabermetrics era of what value actually looks like. The team has to at least be okay. But how that, can you be not, valuable, to, valuable to a team that's terrible? Because it's not Mike Trout's fault that the Angels are incapable of building a then contender. Why are we following baseball him? anymore? Let's just, We're not. Let's that's just, why you got mad at me for yeah, picking this Because this is why people hate baseball, though. Because <laughs> everyone's before. like, no, Mike Trout is the MVP. <laughs> Isn't that team 73-99? You're stupid. <sighs> You're dumb. You don't get math. It's like, okay. All right. Well, I, I guess I can't have an opinion on this yet. This is just because the who, Red Sox who are should, bad. If we just said who is the MVP of a team that's actually going to be relevant and win more than 75 games, who would that be? If we said that the MVP has to make the playoffs or come close, who's right. the MVP in the AL? Is it LeMahieu? God, no. I, is it somebody in the Yankees? I got news for is it you. Alex Bregman? You, it's, 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 it's an Astro and it's probably Verlander or Garrett Cole. Great. I would love if it was Verlander. At least that makes sense to me. 
they're successful and he's the biggest reason. Him and Cole. I hate this. I can tell. I really do. I hate it. I hate being told how I should feel about an award, which you and your little math people. I'm not a math person. I'm a I'm I'm willing to adapt <laughs> to the times. And the times say that the way you think about value has should to Should we change. do this with the Oscars? Well, we, pe- what do you mean? You do do this with the Oscars all no, the time. Should- Otherwise, all the awards would go to just like whichever blockbuster made I the most J- money. Jason Statham was awesome in Hobbs and Shaw, which was a terrible movie. Should he win the MVP? Should we win Best Actor? He's like, man, without Jason Statham, that movie would have been even worse. People get nominated for good performances in bad movies. Not really. What? They're usually at least a watchable movie. Like the <sighs> Julianne Moore movie that she won for. That mm-hmm. was a pretty depressing movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say anybody would want to watch it twice, but it was at least past the quality test. The Angels team does not pass the quality test. They're terrible. I'm not arguing that the Angels are good. I just think, look, just have a different award. Have have best individual performance and then we're covered because that's what the MVP has turned into. So we're basically saying it doesn't matter who's on what team. It just matters how you do. But how you do is relative. It's relative to every other performer on your teams. team and every... Let's just have, let's just, let's just keep in the dugout. Everybody can be in a glass cage and not interact with anybody else because teammates don't matter. I mean, to be fair, you are kind of describing baseball. <laughs> okay, let's, let's just go the whole way. I love we it. have a dugout of just glass phone booths. So you're fine with Cody Bellinger winning MVP because yeah, the Dodgers are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, at least good. All right, let me, let me throw this to you as a thought experiment. Yelich, if the Brewers don't make the playoffs. That's a good MVP candidate. He it's 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 Bellinger, Yelich, and, and maybe Acuna and Rendon in the NL mix. It really even among that group was down to pretty much Bellinger and Yelich, who were both having just astronomical seasons. Any way you want to look at it, team yeah. success, stats, anything. But if it has to boil down to making the playoffs, and you would you would be able to say the Brewers didn't make it if that's how this ends, because. Yelich was off the field, then does his absence. That helps. And their ensuing absence from the playoffs actually help his case. I, I think we get into a lot of trouble. So basically the Cy Young is an individual award, right? Like I mean, we've, we've seen people win the Cy Young award with great stats on bad teams. Steve Carlton, 1972, sure, being yeah. the most famous example. Wasn't his fault the team sucked. I think we should have a third award. I think there should be two offensive players awards, one for just best individual performance and then one for like most viable for somebody who affected a team in the best possible ways. Now, the the I've heard all the arguments. It's not like I'm dumb to the arguments, but the argument is basically it's not his fault. But and are, I agree with you. It's not his fault. But are you actually, do you actually believe that Mike Trapp does not make his team better? I don't think it matters. Because let's say he's not on that team. How many games did they win? 65? 63? Is there a difference between a 75 win and a 63 win team? Guess what? I don't want to watch either of them. So I don't know. I Just what are we commemorating? We're commemorating Historic the best achievement. individual performance. So make that the award. Just say it. Don't say valuable. I agree to disagree. I'd be fine with changing it. the name. I just I love don't when think... we disagree. Me too. We've known this each is, other a long time. It's awesome. I just don't like the word valuable. Valuable we're, we're still insinuate. crackling six years in. Valuable insinuate. <laughs> <laughs> the marriage is still hot. 
I just think the word valuable insinuates something good has happened. And my take on the angels is nothing good has happened. Every time Mike Trout steps up to the plate, something good happens. He does something that has never happened before every season. That has to matter. It has to. It, it, it cannot be a reflection of what we want out of the sport or out of the people who play it. If at the end of a season like Mike Trout just had, and he also it didn't complete the season because he's injured, but same similar timelines. Hey, quit Yelich. on his team. Oh my God. <laughs> Now you're now you're just now you're just chasing. <laughs> you want the again. aggregators to come after you no. again? The horror movie. Oh God, the, the aggregators, aggregators. Are coming. <laughs> directed by Jason Blum. Now it's listen. I get it. He was the best player in the American League, but that's just what we should call the award. Okay, let me ask you one more follow up then. If this is how strongly you feel about it, and how clearly you see that divide, would you then wait until after the postseason to vote? Because if it's if it, no, because it's a award, regular season award. But why? If the argument is that it's about, it, in your mind, if we're going to call it this, it has to reflect wins and losses and actual Oh, I'm team with you. I think this should be an award. I think this should be an award in the NBA too. I think they should have playoffs MVP, not just finals MVP. But you could talk me into a whole start to finish of the season award, right? But So if the Dodgers won the World Series, yeah. but he wasn't the best player in the World Series, but he was the biggest reason they won that whole season, Maybe that's an award. I don't know. I Interesting. just, I just, I'm all for more awards, basically. I think the most valuable player when I grew up meant the most valuable player to a team that mattered. Right. And then about 15 years ago, right. people started to hijack this and they were like, why does the team have to be good? That's not fair to the player. And now we're, we are where we are, where Mike Trout is just going to win 10 straight MVPs on a bunch of teams that nobody's ever going to remember. Listen, I think it's weird. One man's hijacking is another's progress. <laughs> there you go. What's number four? <laughs> We're really following through on our promise to move quickly. Today. We got 20 minutes for the next four. <laughs> number four. Yeah. Can Mitchell Biscuit Trubisky throw a touchdown pass this week? <laughs> He's got a goose egg so far with one pick. Zero touchdowns. Yeah. Through two weeks. So the good news for the Bears is that after all of the agonizing over the kicker situation, they found a kicker. The bad news is that they might not have a starting quarterback, which is ultimately more problematic. And the Watson-Mahomes thing just getting caught, brought up constantly everywhere by everybody. As it should. Yes, as it should. Let the record state for the 947th time just this week that the Bears traded up. <laughs> traded up! One spot. <laughs> one spot to draft Mitchell Trubisky, second overall, in a draft Rough that included one. Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Tough one. Let the record state. So... Chicago gets Washington in Washington on Monday Night Football, which is the Monday Night Football schedule this season is bleak. The next six bleak. the next six weeks are really bad. Awful. Now, not totally the fault of the schedule because there are a couple injuries in there, but they weren't, it wasn't a great stretch. It wasn't the to most begin compelling. With. Yeah. The, sun, the Sunday night slate is so much better. So biscuit so far through two games, and admittedly, two games against good defenses, Packers, Broncos, fine. Rock in a completion percentage of 58.3, averaging a robust 4.8 yards per attempt. His quarterback rating is 65. 65. Couple advanced stats for you. Next gen stats listed 40.7% of his passes in week two as wide open. And yet, heading into that final drive, he had 95 passing yards, despite how many of his attempts rated as wide open. That I would is also not like, normal. I would also like to point out, I watched both of those games. And he looked like shit. They don't know 
it's the opposite of what you have with Lamar in Baltimore. They have him in an offense that doesn't succeed for him. I looked up his rushes. He's had four, he said four rushes in two games. He should be used like Josh Allen. If that's how I would use him, he's such a good athlete. He's the scariest when he's running around when he's not thinking. As a pocket quarterback, he's just bad. Yeah, and I don't think it gets better. So why not? Why not Josh Allen Lamar him? I just don't think he has the ability. Period. You don't think he has the ability to roll out and do stuff? I don't think he has the ability to run an NFL offense, period. I mean, the thing, the, I think the point that you're making is, is valid, but he's also, you know, Matt Nagy is part of the offensive mastermind movement in the sport. It's not like he's on a team with an offensive system and a coaching staff that doesn't know how to structure a system around its personnel. It's quite the opposite, and it isn't making a damn bit of difference. And then the trickle-down effect is David Montgomery is not having a good running season so far. They can't get anything going on offense because the defenses that they're facing, and again, two good ones so far, That'll that, the chance to do something comes now against Washington, who is not playing. They had a tough draw with so those far. first two games with the other team's defense slash they're in the altitude in Denver in week two. Yeah. All that stuff. With that said... Yeah. He was horrible. He was he was terrible. Even like the narrative that, oh, he got it done. He got it done in the end in that drive. Did he? Like that 25-yard throw to set up the game-winning field goal. Which which happened when time expired. Yes, that's right. right. Getting that time, that time out call with quote-unquote one second left, like whatever. That's a whole separate thing. That was a 25-yarder, okay? And of all of his throws in the game that went more than 10 yards, that was the only one he completed. He can't throw basically beyond the line of scrimmage. That is a that is a problem if you're a starting quarterback in the NFL. The I other, also think he has really bad, in the moment, panic judgment. Yeah. Like he's the master of, if whatever he thought was going to happen in the play, now we've moved to plan B. It's like his brain breaks. And yeah. that's when he'll just throw in a triple coverage. He'll throw across his body. Like, he'll, he'll just make the run decision yeah, half the time. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't, he's not at least yet adept at making the proper read, making a quick decision. As Roger Sherman wrote on The Ringer last week, this whole thing about how he can't throw to his left is like a real thing. It's a thing. Though Roger's conclusion hilariously was he just can't throw in any direction, which is like savage, but was a very funny way to end a column. Not untrue. Not untrue. You got to be able to throw a touchdown in two weeks in the NFL. You have to. It doesn't matter what defense you're facing. It just doesn't. So this week is like a real, feels like more of a barometer than it should feel like three weeks into the well, season. Well, in the Packers game, he had chances to throw touchdowns and just did not complete the pass to in the way that a normal quarterback Yeah, he would misses have. wide open throws. And I haven't seen, he can't push the ball down the field. I haven't seen really anything from him that makes me think there's hope here. It's pretty bleak. Now, it's early in his career. Who knows? But... I just don't get it. I'd, it never really made sense when they picked him that it, it was. It seemed like a scouting combine pick over an actual results pick. Yeah. And we've seen nothing other than he had one game last year. Remember when he went nuts? Everybody got excited. Yeah. I don't remember when that was. It was in the middle of the season. It's His fourth quarter in the playoff game that they lost last year was pretty good. Um, that's it. That's Those are my two positive Mitch Trubisky memories. That's a pretty short list. In season three. Well, here's the other thing. Before <laughs> it's in season three. We, before we move on, it's a road game, but it's really not Monday night. Right. There's going to be, what, 80% Bears fans? You think so? 70%? Why would a Redskins fan want to go to that game? 
If you're like, hey, man, you know, it's going to be fun going to this Redskins game. Soaking tonight. up the last moments of the Gruden era. Yeah, it DC. could be the last moments. You know, they're on the But clock. I think those fans can get restless. Let's uh, take a break. We'll do the last three. Hey, CBS Sports HQ is the brand new streaming sports network live 24-7. Costs you nothing. Sports coverage always on, always free, always. Coverage always focused on the game. Tons of highlights, breaking news coverage as it happens. Fantasy advice and something we care about deeply here at the BS Podcast. Gambling picks analysis to get that extra edge. I've been playing fantasy and gambling for at least three decades now. I can confirm it's not easy. I just know that when I turn on CBS Sports HQ, I'll see the tips and trends I need to win my bets. Download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or other connected device at any time to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates. Just sports for real sports fans at the great price of nothing. It's free. You don't have to log in or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. All right, three more. Mallory's most intriguing. Go. Okay, number three. This is a quick one. This is less a discussion point for today and more something that I feel we have an obligation to mention as a primer, like a watch list item for us, something to return to in future weeks to discuss at length. Do the Miami Dolphins have a chance to be the literally worst team in NFL history? I think this is the week that we have to start monitoring this seriously. They're minus minus 92, right? Yes. Going to be... Going to be 0-16, right? Just announced, actually, as we were sitting down to do this, Josh Rosen officially in as the starter. So that's exciting. I still believe. But already 0-2, schedule's tough. The fish tank is in full effect. Facing Dallas this week, so that's a not only a guaranteed loss, but probably another annihilation. Nobody wants to be on the team. So traded earlier in the offseason, Tannehill, Quinn, Alonzo, right before on the eve of the season, the Tunsil, Kenny Stills trade to Houston. And then this week traded Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers for a first-round pick. Part of a tank is accumulating draft capital, so getting a first-round pick is great. But if you're not able to field a roster at a certain point because people keep asking to get out of town, that's a problem. Seems like a Kenyon Drake trade is at least possible and that other people are also asking to get I'm off going the, the other way. This sounds like The Replacements, the sequel. <laughs> it's Shane Falco time. Who else was on that team? Could John Favreau start doing steroids and getting super, <laughs> super ripped again? I mean, that that might be their only hope to maintain anything. Can he, can someone block for Josh Rosen? Because playing behind that line, I feel, I really feel bad for Josh Rosen. Going from the Arizona line he played behind last year to this situation is just awful. So, the Dolphins are on watch. Number so, two. So, the 0-16 thing. Yeah. There's also a whole bunch of other things that could happen, whether they could be the first team to be a 30-point underdog in a game. Right. Like, this week, they're, I think, 23 now to Dallas. It's like 22 and a half for 23 points to Dallas. That's It's the highest land I've, I can remember seeing in the NFL in years and years and years. It, they're turning into whoever the shittiest SEC team is. Yeah. Who's the worst SEC team? Well, I mean, it varies year to year, but, you know, I'd, I'd say for the, the sake of the comparison, you're pr- basically saying they're the Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt plays Sorry, Alabama. Vanderbilt. What's the line? Oh, my God. Like minus 30? I mean, if we went back to a handful of years ago before Vanderbilt started to, to turn into a respectable program, yeah, I mean, you could see that. What's weird is they host the Super Bowl But this it, it's year. not, the thing is, it's not even like, there's no comparison of like a, a, a major conference rival. It's like when... In uh, Alabama or a real power, like play. Well, it's when Michigan hosts some sort of FCS team. 
at the big house. No, it's like my school Holy Cross when we gave up scholarships, but we still played BC. There you go. And it was like, oh, cool. We're going to lose 49 to three. That'll be fun. What's number two? Riley had a nugget in his in his piece, his stats piece that the Dolphins DVOA through two games is the worst since 86. Things are really, really dark. Number wow. two. That's interesting. Number two. I know last week I promised you I would try to exert some self-control and willpower and not talk about Lamar and the Ravens every week, but I'm human. And I'm only capable of so much. And it turned out that I was not capable of honoring that promise for more than one week. Number two, Lamar versus Mahomes, Ravens versus Chiefs. It's the great. game of the week. We can't not talk about it. Maybe the, the game best of the game week. of the, maybe the best game of the year. I hope so. I so, mean, I hope it lives up to the billing. This the is, variable is whether he decides to go toe to toe. Right. If it if it's on. Because Mahomes, I was on Rosillo's podcast earlier. Mahomes is the best player in the league and is playing quarterback at a level that's all time out of control right now. He's yeah. like, he really might throw 60 touchdowns. It's possible. He threw four in the second quarter in of the, the Raiders quarter, game. Yeah. Yeah. See, he's doing things now that it's like when Jordan would just score 47, then he'd have 49 the next day. And we just, it's, it doesn't even seem real anymore. So if he gets going and does his thing and we, st- there's still doubt with Lamar. Now, you know, I love him. Mm-hmm. I'm in, he's on my fantasy teams. I'm all, I'm all in, but he still has all, but he did it against Miami and Arizona. What happens right. if what, we haven't seen him play from behind yet? There's yeah. all these little things we haven't seen. I still believe. I believe, too. It's a scary game, but I'm excited. The game last year was the 27-24 Chiefs win in overtime was a really fun game, and I think Ravens fans are still carrying that fourth and nine that Mahomes converted. Carrying that deep within, yeah. you know? And the idea of avenging that is is very sweet, but you're right. I mean, it, it is, it's a different kind of calculus, not only having to go against uh, a good team, but maybe the best team no offense to your Patriots, but certainly a Super Bowl contender and definitely the... Most explosive. Yeah, the MVP. I mean, the Ravens and the Chiefs, two of the top three offenses in the league so far through a couple weeks by basically every metric. I I think that Lamar and the offense can generate consistent yardage and points against the Chiefs. Um, I'm really curious to see how the defense holds up against Mahomes because I think like you're saying... We're just at the point with it where there's there's no expectation really, no matter how good a defense is, that the defense should be able to contain him. Like, he's just, he's a defense breaker. That's well, what he is. What made last week so crazy is Hill's out. The guys weren't even that open. Week one, everybody was open all over the place, but he had a couple touchdown throws where the guys were open by a sliver. Have you? And he still was able to hit them in stride 40 yards downfield. Like, you, it's insane. Have you ever read a book called The Subtle Knife? No. Wonderful book. I'll, I'll happily lend you one of my multiple copies of it. Very quickly, the reason I ask multiple is because copies. weirdo. It's great. <laughs> one of my favorite books. I'd highly recommend it. There's a a, a magical tool in this universe and in, in the universe of these stories. It's called the subtle knife that you pierce the air with, and you you just the, the knife becomes a part of your hand, and you sense as you're moving through the layers of the air where to push, where to slice, and you can open a window, literally the finest point you can imagine, into another world. That's what Patrick Mahomes does with his passes. Wow. That's the subtle knife, needs. Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I like it. So the Ravens, I think, have some defensive questions, but I do think the Chiefs do as well. Now, yeah. the Chiefs in that Raiders game laid the smackdown after they fell behind. Yes. And then I actually thought they did a pretty good job on defense. 
I thought Lamar's throw, the 41-yarder, to clinch the game when it did feel like stuff was happening. Gorgeous. And that was a, I that mean, that was, was like- gorgeous throw. Really, the probably the best <laughs> throw of the weekend. Oh my God. But uh, he's passed all the checkpoints. This is a nice checkpoint. The Chiefs are favored by seven. Yeah. I kind of like the Chiefs on a tease. Yeah. And they're going to have to probably outscore the Chiefs to win, which means this is now, we need right. 30 plus from Lamar, I'm guessing. Yeah. There is also a scenario where they do the control the clock for eight minutes, try to keep Mahomes off the field. I don't know. I'm excited for this game. That'll be interesting. I think one of the, the early developments of the season is that the Ravens are not, not even specific to Lamar, but overall not running as much as everybody thought they were going to. You know, all the talk about how it was going to revolutionize offense by running more than any team in history. Maybe this is the week that that actually happens with just enough of the Lamar, Mark Andrews and Lamar, Hollywood Brown connection to keep that explosive aspect of field stretching and RPO in the in the scheme. The thing that I'm really thinking about a lot is is how can they stop Travis Kelsey? I know like Sammy Watkins has been the big thing for the Chiefs so far this year, but you know, when you when you're a fan of a team that's playing the Chiefs, the thing that scares you most right now at least with who's out on the field for them is Kelsey cr- cutting across the middle. I'm really really fascinated to see how the Ravens deploy Earl Thomas on defense. Really fascinated. He's talking a lot of shit this week. I fucking love it. Yeah. I'm going to shut it down. And obviously, Kelsey is often going against linebackers. I wonder about deploying Thomas from the safety spot to try to neutralize Kelsey. I think that'll be fun to watch. There's going to be a little Darwin Thompson in this game, too, because the Chiefs running backs are banged up. Yeah, it doesn't— I'm I'm intrigued to see him because it seems like he's the most physically gifted Chiefs running back but isn't as attuned with the playbook and the stuff like that. But he's kind of a wild card. Yeah, Damian Williams is hurt. McCoy sounds like he's going to play, but he's he's also— injured so we'll see can't uh, wait we'll be hearing about that game later with million dollar picks because it's going to be involved all right number one Mallory's most intriguing is number one the nfl is officially a backup quarterback league hmm. we are at this moment in time and this could change again because again as we sat down to record this another backup became a starter we are officially entering week three on thursday afternoon at one quarter eight of 32 teams starting a quarterback who was a backup entering the season, or if you want to fudge the math a little bit with the Colts because of when when Brissett officially took over right before the start of the season. Quick rundown of what's happening here. Saints. Drew Brees out. Thumb surgery. They're playing Seattle. We don't know if this is going to be Bridgewater or Taysom Hill. Sean Payton will not say. Do you think that's legit or do you think this is gamesmanship? Gamesmanship, but... I'm so tired of the Taysom Hill, everybody being yeah. so fight. It's it's uh, he's the most overrated player in the league. He does every time he comes in, it's they try to it's like uh remember per, Percy Harvin? Oh, sure. The dude and the dude on uh that was originally Tavon Austin. These guys come in the game and you know the coach can't resist using them mm-hmm. and the defense is totally ready and he gets tackled behind the line. That's become Taysom Hill. Um I hope they play him and he sucks and now we don't ever have to hear from him again. That's my goal for that for him with that game. Wow, incredible. I mean... I, Teddy Two Gloves has at least a week to practice with the starters. He should be better than he was last yeah, week. He, he, did, he was bad last he week. He did not play well last week when he had to come in against the Rams. That said, it's the Rams. It was a in-game injury replacement. You know, I, I don't think you trade a third-round pick to acquire him and then give him a contract that makes him the highest-paid backup in the league if you're not going to start him in this exact situation. That's how I feel. That would be very strange. Feels like gamesmanship. Next situation... The New York football giants have benched Eli Manning for Daniel Danny Dimes Jones. It's happened at last. The doppelganger is in for the original. And 
I think it's fair to say that this is one of the most exciting things that has ever happened in sports. Not because I dislike Eli Manning or because I believe in Daniel Jones. It's just fascinating and hilarious. Like you have all of these shots of them on the sideline next to each other where it is literally like a clone of Eli, except not necessarily, at least before the preseason when Daniel Jones played well with any of the tape to indicate ability to match. You know, the fact that they drafted him sixth overall was at the time considered one of the biggest draft whiffs maybe in history. And now people are like pretty quickly really in. I'm I'm fascinated, fascinated to see if that can hold up. When they're next to each other, it reminds me of the end of Forrest Gump with Forrest and Forrest Jr. at the bus stop. <laughs> Same kind of vibe. Incredible. I think if we call him Danny Dimes, he has a better chance. I think if he's Danny Jones, he has a better chance. And I think if he goes by DJ, he has a better chance. But Daniel Jones makes him sound like a colonialist or like somebody who's with Dr. Joseph Warren, who's going to be in the hottest state next week. Uh, But it just doesn't sound like a quarterback to me. Interesting. It's like Daniel Jones. Remember when Daniel Jones led them down the field? Like, go Danny. Did you think it sounded like a quarterback when he was playing quarterback at Duke? I didn't. Definitely (laughs) did it. A lot of red flags. (laughs) Next, Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger. Out for the year, elbow surgery. So. Mason Rudolph is in. So. Playing the 49ers. This is coming up on million dollars picks. Million dollar picks, I don't want to say too much. But I think the Minka Fitzpatrick trade was a vote of confidence in Mason Rudolph. Clearly. That's kind of like, hey, we're fine at quarterback. Let's get this guy. It'll make us better. We're still in this. You do not give up a first round pick for a defensive player if you don't think you have a chance to contend this year. You Can I bring the Patriots into this? I assumed you would. 2001. Drew Bledsoe goes down. Season over. Right around the same time, actually. September. Mid-September. Man by the name of Thomas Brady came in. Hold on a second. Six-round pick. Hold on. Season's over. Hold on. What's going to happen here? Are you comparing Mason Rudolph to Tom Brady? I'm not comparing the players. I'm comparing the situations. Right. You can't compare them because then you'd, Early ha- in the season, you'd have to note that Mason Rudolph was a third round draft pick and a better prospect than Tom Brady. All I know is people has, have- Should have been a second round pick. People have written off the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Their season is over. Only one team might not think that, the Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the things that I I love, I I really like Mason Rudolph. I liked watching him at Oklahoma State. I think he's a good quarterback. One of the things that I'm excited about, again, goes without saying, but I'll say it just just in case anyone doesn't know this, loathe the Steelers. Hope they lose. I like Mason Rudolph. James Washington has been one of the biggest disappointments for the Steelers so far, the receiver. James Washington and Mason Rudolph were college teammates. I know. And had an electric connection. But I would say Moncrief was the bigger disappointment for them. If anything, it's like give James Washington the rock. Okay, but but there you go. That's the indictment. Who beat out James Washington? Oh, that's fair. That's (laughs) fair. I mean, that's that's telling. So you think the Mason Rudolph, James Washington. I think that connection could be good. I love when college teammates reunite. It's fun. I like when brothers play together. (laughs) And I like when best friends play together. And I love when twins play together. Twins. The twins. Man. Oh, yeah. Did you see the uh, the the baseball brother at bat recently? The... Hold on. God, you fucking brought it back to baseball. How did you do this twice? <laughs> now, now you're Googling baseball. You've ground the pod to a halt yet Colin again. Colin Moran and Brian Moran. That's what it was. The Moran Colin brothers? Moran, Colin Moran, of course, used to be on the Ruben Chow team in the League of Doris. Oh, so yeah. a one-time A one-time prospect of ours. And yeah, brother... Pitching for the Marlins struck him out. Oh, that's against great. The Pirates. That was fun. That's great. That was fun. Next, 
Jaguars, obviously. We don't need to talk about our boy G. again. Everyone knows how we feel. We're all in that game's tonight, so we'll, we'll know. G leading the almost game-winning touchdown drive was actually legitimately exciting. It it was thrilling. Take, taking the ball out of his hands on the, on the, oh, the two-point conversion remains Let, a crime against humanity. Come on. What are you doing, He Maron? really had some great plays in that final drive, and, and I thought... He was under siege that whole game. Houston was coming at him constantly, he's, and he held up. He's really fun. He is also part of two of the quarterback revolutions that are unfolding at once, the backup quarterback revolution and the air raid revolution. We have nine quarterbacks who are part of an air raid I have a nerdy football playing. take on them. Okay, let's hear it. Fournette's on the wrong team. Which team should he be on? They should have like a more fun, even it, like it could be, you know, like Le'Veon Bell, best case scenario, but... Say, you know, somebody three down back who can catch the ball. Fournette should just be on like a plotting ball control team that isn't this team. Mm -hmm. I, I would rather see Minshew let loose with like a team like just let him go and do his thing. Fournette doesn't fit with this team. I don't know what, like he, he should be on like the Redskins and the Adrian Peterson role. Oh, just yeah. pounding straight ahead for four and a half yards. That's interesting. Poor, poor Darius Geis, man. Knee surgery again. Speaking yeah, of but the here's Redskins, thing. If somebody keeps getting injured at some point, like no. he got, he went for like 28 bucks in my fantasy auction. It's like, you guys can't stay healthy. I know. Very anyway, tough. Next one. Obviously the Colts, Jacoby Brissett in for Andrew Luck. We've talked about that my a lot. Guy. They've got Atlanta, your guy, your adopted team. Then of course the Jets, Luke Falk, who one week ago was on a practice squad. That's not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. It was literally a practice squad quarterback starting. He's replacing Two other people, Sam Darnold, who has mono, Trevor Simeon, who suffered a horrifying ankle injury in the last game. And Kyle who is Luke it. Falk playing? You liked the injury? No, dude. No, Kyle, like loves, Kyle loves broken bone injuries. Do you, like to, so you like to watch? Not at all. Yes, Kyle goes on Facebook. I can't believe this is happening right now. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure he was awake. He seemed like he was zoning out. You, do you prefer a break or a dislocation? Break. <laughs> For me, yes, no, for break. me personally. Yeah. Break. Just, that's what's more to your taste. I don't want to talk about the Jets. Who's the next one? Well, they're playing the Patriots, by the I way. I know. it's We're going to win by 40. Very tough. Next, Panthers. This one is not 100% definitive, but it really sounds like Kyle Allen is going to play. And the I mean, Cam who could have guessed Cam Newton might not make it out of September? There are no signs at all. Brutal. Fun little fact here. The Panthers are playing Arizona. Kyle yeah. Allen and Kyler Murray were college teammates at Texas A&M. Wow. Competing for a quarterback job there together. So that, I have to be, be honest, fun. I don't know what Kyle Allen looks like. I don't know if he's black or white. You could tell me anything. I would believe it right now. White guy, blonde hair. Formerly one of the top recruits in the entire country, didn't really have the college career people thought. Played at AM for a while, transferred to Houston. Played played a game for the Panthers last year, came in and and, and actually like played pretty well. He, well, if he can throw the ball in a direct line to a teammate <laughs> and be an run, improvement. He's an improvement from what we saw from Cam Newton. <gasps> Brutal. And then of course the Dolphins officially announced that Rosen will be starting in place of Fitzpatrick. What took this long? I will literally until my dying day never understand. What can is we, the point of fielding a tanking team and not giving Josh Rosen some reps? I don't understand. Let's end on this note. As a diehard football fan. Yeah and a diehard member of the tribe. <laughs> what does this moment mean? Chosen Rosen. The Rosen one. <laughs> it's special, you know? It's special. It really is. But is this the best case scenario for the Chosen one? Well, playing I've got, on I've, the worst team of all time. Like I listen, back to back years of just the chosen one being set up to fail. I don't want to bring up baseball again, but no matter what, the tribe has Alex Bregman out there doing great things. So there's that. There's that to hold on to in October. I, I, Josh Orson was one of my favorite recruits in his class. 
I will never forget the way he was challenging Trent Dilfer about the plays he drew up at the Elite 11 recruit camp. That's just astonishing stuff. I loved watching him as freshman year at UCLA. I've always been a believer. I, I at this point, have lost the ability to, to tell what is him and what is the team he's on. I mean, to be on that Arizona team last year and to be on this Dolphins scene this year, how is it... How is it even possible to analyze somebody's ability when they're in a situation that abhorrent? I feel I really feel bad for him. Maybe we should make this a new segment where every week we talk about a Jewish athlete <laughs> or a great moment in Jewish sports history. Like next week, coming up, Hank Greenberg went the <laughs> time he had 58 homers. Count me in. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> I think the re- the listeners would want that. It's wonderful. Uh, I, feel Tova, bad. Bill. I feel bad for the chosen one. It's tough. Not ideal. You're a believer too, though. I am. I, yeah. I And I think with quarterbacks, you can just end up on the wrong team a couple of times and then basically your career's over, you know, like yeah. you can just take some pounding, lose your confidence and then that's it. I, I still maintain that Christian Hackenberg <laughs> oh, no. would have been oh, no. a good oh, God. professional quarterback, if not for the fact that he played behind a line that it, he just lost the ability to play quarterback and his confidence. You see this, you saw it with Brett Hundley. This happened. It happens at the college level fairly Definitely. regularly. 1,000. It ha- I feel like David Carr had happened. Oh, and I, man. And who was the dude? Tim I mean, Couch in the Browns? I know he, he got hurt, but they, but he was just under attack for a couple of years there. Yeah. It happens. It does. Anyway, Mallory, this is a pleasure as always. Delightful. Good luck for Game of Thrones this weekend. Last round of Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. The 10 to 1 Thanks. favorite for best show. Thank I know you. you're excited. Yeah, it's yeah. listen, all shows must die. All right, before we get to house, I'm teaming up with FanDuel to give you a chance to play fantasy football against me, Sal, and the trifecta. The best part is the winner gets to fly out to Puerto Rico to be our official correspondent for FanDuel's World Fantasy Championship Football Championship Live Finals. You'll get an all expenses paid trip to enjoy four days worth of WFFC events in Puerto Rico, including an exclusive beach after party. With a live performance by Ludacris, just go to FanDuel.com slash ringer to enter and draft your week three fantasy team for the games kickoff on Sunday. I am back to the drawing board. I've gotten my butt kicked on FanDuel the last two weeks. I might just play the hits this week. It might just be like a Mahomes. Pat's defense. They won't Mahomes, be 20 bucks Pat's defense. Just, I'm not getting cute anymore. There'll be no more Deion Kane for 4,500, all Marlon that Mack, stuff. Marlon Mack this week, maybe? No, well, no, he's, he's hurt. Oh, okay. Then. Marlon's why hurt. I, that's why I'll I didn't get any out. points from him. Okay. I'm playing all the hits this week. Just remember, you can play against me, sound the trifecta in the Ringer Listener League on FanDuel. It doesn't matter if you missed last week. You can still take home the top prize. Go to FanDuel.com slash Ringer to enter now. FanDuel.com slash Ringer. Speaking of Sal, this is the only time we'll do this this season. Sal's going to the Emmys on Sunday night because Jimmy Kimmel Live was nominated for an Emmy. So we are not doing the podcast Sunday night. We're doing it Monday morning at 8 a.m. West Coast time. We'll try. We'll probably make it shorter. It should be up by, I would say, 1.15 range East Coast time. Maybe even earlier. Maybe even earlier. Time. We're starting it at 8. Who knows when it'll be done. But we should have it to you like right after lunch on Monday. It'll be the only time that happens. I know people like getting it in the... Uh, morning. So there you go. All right. Time to bring in house. All right. It is not quite Friday yet, but we're going to do some Friday rolling. The man, the myth, the legend, Joe House. Two appearances on the BS podcast this week for him. We were in DC. He uh, he made Kyle bleep him like 10 times. It was great. Now we're going to do million dollar picks. Here's where we stand, House. Through two weeks, we're up $460,000. 
We won $280,000 last week. Uh, for the people who try to calculate at home and then send emails saying I cheat, we're betting a million dollars a week. If we lose, like we did with the Bengals last week, then we lose more than $300,000. Because we bet $300,000 in the Bengals. They lost to the 49ers. It was a terrible pick. But you also lose the 10% VIG. So you actually lose $330,000, not three hundred dollars on that. So the VIGs work like this. 10% on single game, on just straight up games. Uh, on parlays, there's no VIG. And then teasers are usually minus 120. So if you tease a team, um, that makes it so that it's minus 20 to win 100. So there you go. House, how are you? Well, I'm glad that you started off with, with teaser because that could be a theme this week, Bill Simmons. I'm doing great. I finally recovered from our meal Monday night. Did you enjoy that meal Monday night? Yeah, we went to, what was the place called? Maidan? Maidan, yes, sir. With Uncle Tony, yeah. they had a giant smoker, ride home at Kelleher, and Tony ate a bunch of meat and then said, "My be- I have to go, my leg hurts, hugged us and left. It was one of the well, all-time old guy moves I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Just eat, no dessert, I'm out, my leg hurts, bye. He owned it, though. I mean, I felt bad. We did drag him upstairs, and he's fighting the sciatica. He's publicly yeah, he fighting the sciatica. He's, he he's working it off. But we, we did get a pillow for him to sit on. He 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 made it to the meat course, at least. I, I knew that it was going to be uh, a challenge to keep him around because we started off with a lot of uh, hummus and the and the tabbouleh and a lot of, you know, sort of exotic, you know, the, the Mediterranean, North African kind of vibe. And that ain't Tony's thing. But we got to the meat, and he hung around for the meat. So God bless TK. Well, I went to Medeo in Beverly Hills yesterday with Kimmel and Sal and all those guys because I'm turning 50 next week. Um, and it's one of those things in LA. They have the hot new restaurants, and you got to go there and try it. And then there's like six, seven, eight just great restaurants that have just been around a while and get taken for granted, kind of like Tom Brady. And... uh the Medeo, they have the pounded veal, right? The veal millionaise, what a Joe House favorite. Absolutely. But you can go off the menu, House. You can go off the menu and you can ask well, for What's that mean? Let's hear it. You can ask for the veal parmesan using the veal millionaise con- concept. They bake it. It's absolutely unbelievably, unequivocally delicious. Daniel Callison was there and he asked me for a bite and I said no. And he was like, he was like, what do you, you, he was like, you honestly won't give me a bite. And I said, no, he's like, are you serious? And I was like, no, I want every single bite. I don't want to give you a bite. So he ordered another one. Cause we were charging it to James baby doll Dixon. And then sounds right. like just order a whole other veal Parmesan. And we're like, oh, of course. Why didn't we do that? It's a great point. So yeah, we ordered now, another please. veal Parmesan and charged it to, uh, to baby doll. But, um, <laughs> but man, I know Kyle loves the Parmesan family. The chicken parmesan. Big fan. The the veal parmesan. Nothing but he's smiling right now. Eggplant. Eggplant parmesan. Eggplant parm. We had that Don't as an appetizer. Don't sleep on the eggplant. Here's the other yeah. thing they did, because we had a great small table. It was like seven people. It was a table for six, but we squeezed seven in. So it was one of those things. We ordered a bunch of appetizers, and you know, the plate the table wasn't that big. So we ordered all these appetizers. Fifteen minutes later, they come in with the plates. They've carved up all the different appetizers and given us portions. Oh, yeah. So that the yeah. plate, the table wasn't too cluttered. That place, right. that place is great. But it was so I had like well, a I, table with like 
I had a meatball and I had like a little, I forget what the fish is called that we ordered, but that, and then some eggplant Parmesan and then some burrata and it's all in this plate. And we all had the same plate. I was like, you guys are great at this. Yeah. Well, this is, I, I was lucky enough my own self to be, to visit Medeo back in uh, February. I was out in LA and me and the editor-in-chief Bon Appetit magazine, Adam Rappaport, ventured, ventured over there. By Beverly Hills, Medeo, right? Yeah. It's on uh, Camden, yeah. right? In the downtown and everything. Yeah. There, there we go. Uh, old school uh, Italian. And I had a, the, one of the best clams bongoli I've ever had. That's, that's the linguine with clams in, in, a, in a light white sauce. couple martinis, a, a Caesar salad with extra anchovy. That's, that's living. That's it's, living, but that place is the best. That place is the best. And it's everybody's crammed in, but not too crammed. There's a million waiters. They're all over the place. They don't miss anything. It's right in the heart of everything. Um, it's really good. So we just did a short Anybody? House of Carbs segment. You have your own food podcast. Somehow we're doing <laughs> House of Carbs on this one. Well, I'm always interested in talking about I know, food. I, I didn't know the Dixon dinner. And well, the Dixon dinner is an annual highlight. I mean, we we, we really need to come on and do a, re a full refeastable with me on that one. So the reason I brought up this dinner was because I knew it would put you in a good mood for Million Dollar Picks because I need your help. Because <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a great mood. Because we're doing well. Week three is a perennially dangerous week. Habits form. You start getting too attached to certain teams. I'm very attached to the Colts and Rams right now because they won us money both weeks. Yeah. Um, there's other teams like the Steelers that are 0-2 and have a new quarterback and everybody's just written them off. But I'm going to go through some of the games I'm looking at and we can talk about them. First one. Well, I'll go, let me go through the games I kind of like but don't totally like first. The Steelers are plus seven against the 49ers. And this is a perfect storm of a team that could not have looked possibly better than they did last week, the 49ers, whether they're good or not, or they just had an awesome game. We don't know, but you're buy, you're basically, if you're buying the Niners this week, you're buying high. You're buying at the peak of whatever the 49ers value is because they looked awesome. Steelers on the other hand, 0-2, defense looks bad, no Roethlisberger, and it seems like they're headed for a bad season. But here's the catch. First of all, 0-2 which 0-2 teams desperate. This whole season's on the line. I think they like Mason Rudolph. Maller and I talked about him earlier. I don't know if you make the Minka Fitzpatrick trade if you don't feel like your quarterback's good because that was a weird trade. They, When the Roethlisberger thing happened, I thought, oh, they're going to tank the season. And instead, they doubled down on the season. They traded next year's first-round pick unprotected for somebody who's young, who is on a, on a rookie contract, who everybody really likes and thinks has a chance to be an all-pro safety. But it's the kind of move you make if you believe in your young quarter. He's not a rookie, he's second year. If you believe in your second year quarterback. So my question to you, House, veteran of the gambling circuits, this game kind of has the look, right? What do you think? Yeah, I like uh, the Steelers here. I uh, agree with maybe staying away. And the reason that I'm... Um, slightly scared off is because of what we saw out of Jimmy G last week um, and 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 what Kyle Shanahan is capable of. Jimmy G looked like, you know, it was the best game he's had in, in 18 months. Yeah. And if he's sort of back, he's restored to, to Jimmy G uh, porn star swagger mode, then I don't want to, to sort of get in the way of that. You know, I don't want to catch any, uh, any after spray. 
with that kind of swag going around. Um, so that would be the reason to be sort of worried about the 49ers because Shanahan's smart. But the Steelers, their, their uh, deficiency so far this season is giving up 300-yard passing days and three or more touchdowns to opposing quarterbacks. Um, and they need to do something. They needed to do something. So the Minka acquisition, maybe that directly addresses the strongest deficiency they possess. And I do like uh, Mason Rudolph, and I, I'm with you. I think they like him too. So well, uh, I like. I think the Steelers represent a little bit of an opportunity here, but I'm worried about Jimmy G's swag. Yeah, and we Jimmy G, we we weren't out on him. I just thought post ACL was going to take a while, and we'd know when he kind of look, started to look like Jimmy G again. He looked like Jimmy G last week. It looked like he was all the way back. The other thing is. They've added some speed around him. Who is that? He was like the third, four-string running back, Mostert. I just picked him up in yes. fantasy. That's they, a good pickup. They, All the uh, fantasy nerds love him. Yeah, so there was a stat with him this week, which is the reason I picked him up in both leagues about, um, I think he had the highest percentage of making people miss. They have that there stat where That's it's like... That's the fantasy nerd angle. Frank Gore gets tackled by 30 of the 32 guys who touch him. And this guy was like on the other end. He was at the top. But he also passed the eye test because we had that game on a little bit. And um, he, he just looked really good. So they might... You know, there's a chance that team might be good. And there's certainly a chance. That's why Vegas really seemed to believe in them the last couple of weeks. But I wanted to mention that angle. So here's the thing, House. Do you believe in Kirk Cousins? Do you like Kirk Cousins? No and no. There's a line that's out of whack, and I hesitate to bring it up because John Gruden is involved and Derek Carr. (laughs) But the Raiders are getting nine points against Minnesota in Minnesota this week. They are plus 330 to win the game. And the Steelers are plus 250 to win their game. If you parlay those two money lines together, it's 14 to 1. I'm just just mentioning that. I just want to plant that little seed for. I'm not saying we're going to do it or not. I think the Raiders team, they just they seem actually pretty talented. I might have been wrong thinking they had no chance yeah. to get to six wins. Even that Chiefs uh. game last week, they started out fast and then Mahomes just went to another level and he beat the he beat the hell out of them. He sucked their will out. And uh, and did the Mahomes I mean, it was thing. Twenty eight points, two twenty eight points in a quarter with two wide receivers. Who's who? We only were like Robinson, right? Who's Robinson? And Kel- we were doing the old Kelsey guy was thing, out. watching that game. Kelsey was out there though. Yeah, that's true. So I don't but know. Just, it, I, I think that people defense scares me. I think people are back on the whole. Well, the Raiders suck. Like my, they just got killed by the Chiefs, and it's like, well. I think a lot of people are going to get killed by the Chiefs. That line just seems high. I think they should be favored by... I think Minnesota should be favored by seven. They're favored by nine. I don't know why we should trust Cousins. I think the Cousins thing could go either way, right? Like, he's available on my fantasy wire, waiver wire right now in my league. And, and like, there's 22 quarterbacks that have been picked up or something. And Kirk Cousins threw for, like, 4,200 yards last year. He's, like, 30 TDs, 10 picks and for some reason is available in my fantasy league because nobody even wants him in a fantasy league. If the Raiders go up early in this game and Cousins does something dumb and throws a pick or whatever, I think the fans are restless with him now. So I I just want to put that out there. I think there's a... I think it's actually worse for him to be on the road and to be at home on this game than it would be on the road. What do you think of that? 
I don't disagree with you. Um, I think the uh, Minnesota Vikings are acutely aware of the sensitive position they are in yeah. with their heavy, heavy investment uh, in Kirk Cousins. And I think they're going to game plan around it. I I still think Zimmer is a pretty damn good coach. And the Vikings are a different team defensively at home for whatever reason. They really lock down defensively. I think that they have a genuine uh, home field advantage. And, and so I think uh, you're not going to see Kirk Cousins put in situations where he's going to have the opportunity to be uh, gunslinging around and, you know, snatching a defeat from the jaws of victory. I also agree with you about that line feeling too high, which really feeds into this little theme. I really feel like there is a week three teaser to be had. I'm going to try and talk you into it, but that's circle that. I put that one in the teaser basket. I okay. like teasing Minnesota down to just being a field goal favorite. I'm uh, I'm probably staying away from that game, but I did look at it for a while, and I do think – if you look at Steelers plus 220, you look at the Raiders are plus 330. Um, the Ravens are in Kansas City. That's another bigger, they're like plus 250, something like that. There's a lot of home do- home favorites this week, giving yeah. between like seven, six and nine points. The Bengals are at Buffalo. Buffalo's favored by like six, six and a half. We're going to see at least one of those road teams win, win on the road. It's it will happen. I, think, I just don't know sure. which the, what the team's going to be. The question is, could two of them win? And is there value in betting on all four and trying to hope that you hit two of them? I'm not going to do that, but I wanted to bring it up because <laughs> another team I do like is the Bengals because they looked really good in week one. And the question was, did they look good because they're good or did they look good because Seattle's not that good? Seattle goes, they beat Pittsburgh in week two. The Bengals look horrible. The Niners blow them out. Now you have the Bills who beat the two New York teams that we all agree are two of the first four teams in football. Now there's like this, oh, well, the Bills are good. It's a tough spot for them. They have expectations. They have a chance to go 3-0. Everybody thinks Cincy sucks from last week. And it just has all the makings of you just pick Buffalo and you don't think twice about it. But meanwhile, I don't think they're a slam dunk ever. And I think the line's too high. I think I think you're getting two free points with the Bengals. Here's the problem. They were so bad last week, I, I'm afraid to pick them. And they've had a lot of injuries, too. So um, thoughts on that line, at least looking too high. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think the right thing to do there is just hold your nose and play it contrarian. It's a stay away for money purposes. I mean, yeah. if you're in the league like we're in where you have to pick every game against the spread, I'm playing the Bengals. It does feel like there's a little value, a little bit of an overreaction. I mean, the the, the Bills defense has been dominant uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's gone up against the Jets and the Giants. Exactly. We know nothing. Atrocious offenses. So we don't know anything about how good that that defense is yet. We also know that their running back is either not playing or he's going to be playing hurt. Singletary, the rookie, who I think has been really good. I I don't think Frank Gore's look good at all. And if Singletary is either not playing or is compromised, I do think it could be hard for them potentially to run the ball to run the ball, and then who the hell knows? But I'm I'm staying away. The um. The other one I wanted to look at that I'm probably not doing anything is Chargers Texans, where the line is three. Um, I think I think people have cooled off a lot on the Chargers, especially after last week. But 
we were monitoring that game. Eckler fumbled on the one yard line. They missed two field goals and Rivers had a really bad pick late in the fourth quarter. Detroit really didn't do a lot to win the game. I, I would say it was one of the all-time Chargers handing a game to the other team games. And now they're only favored by three against this Houston team that doesn't seem like they can protect Watson. Now, he's still been effective. but <laughs> Is that your professional opinion? Yeah, he's run, he, He's taken t- 10 sacks so far this season, leads the NFL in sacks. Well, the reason I said doesn't seem is just because the teams they played the first two weeks you know, may, maybe it was the, maybe it was the defenses. Who knows? I personally think Tunsil just got there, figuring out the who knows. But it seems like they're not going to be able to protect him this season. Is my working guess. So the line is only three, which seems low until you remember the Chargers don't really have a home field advantage. On the other hand, how many Texans fans are out there? How many Texans fans are going to be at the game? I don't know. It seems low. Explain that line to me. I can't. I think it's it's uh, Vegas throwing up their hands. The Chargers are at home. We're just going to play the a slight nod to the home favorite. It's rather than just giving them the standard two and a half. It's three. Um, I don't. I think the the Chargers are good, and I don't think what happened last week uh, in Detroit um, really diminishes what the Chargers are capable of this season. The the Lions defense notwithstanding one quarter of football against the Arizona Cardinals might be good. The Lions defense might be good. And that could be a a theme for for this week. Also, the Lions uh, getting points this week uh, in in Philadelphia, getting five and a half. I'm not betting on that, Patricia. Sorry. Uh, One thing with the line with the Chargers is their secondary is pretty decimated. They, they, uh, we, you, you know, they don't have Derwin James. Adrian Phillips broke his arm last week. The another safety they have. They had a starting quarterback, Michael Davis, missed Sunday's game with a hamstring. They had another cornerback got placed on IR. So it's one of those situations. That's the only explanation I could think of for the line going to three. What do you mean going to three? From from where? Where do you think it should be? I think it should be Chargers by four. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I think they're better than the Texans and they're home and four seems about right. Three and a half to four. Three seems weird. And okay. I, I've not well, been I'm, in, I'm fine. Guess who I'm not impressed by? Bill O'Brien. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and they, they continue to play call in a way that puts their absolute franchise quarterback in harm's way in an unprecedented way. Another game that I mean the Pats are huge favorites. That line is uh, 23. Cowboys are 22 over the Dolphins. We did a bet, or I did a bet last week, we're betting, you know, over a certain, it was Pats by 22 or more against the Dolphins, plus 160, it worked. Those lines aren't out for those games, but I do think, I do think it's worth looking at the over 27 for both games. That the the, <laughs> the Cowboys will win by at least 27 or 27 and a half, whatever it ends up being. The Pats will win by at least 27 and a half because I just don't think the Jets or Dolphins will be able to move the ball. We saw it last week in the Browns game. They can't get 20 yards, you know? So they're yeah. going to be at three points, six points, whatever it ends up being. So you just need the Cowboys or Patriots to get to low 30s and you win the bet. It seems seems smart. Well, and then that's why both of those teams are show up in this parlay that I have cooking over here. It's a, it was I, I I like them both uh, uh, 
in, I, I mean a, a teaser. I have a five-way teaser that I'm 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 marinating on over here. Well, right why don't now. you tell us that? Because I'm about to get to my bets. Let's hear the teaser. Okay, I have a five-way teaser. You can get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all the way down to minus half a point at home against the Daniel Jones uh, debut New York Giants. You can uh, grab the L.A. Rams uh, and put them in a plus three position on the road at Cleveland. You can drive down the Green Bay Packers all the way down to minus one and a half uh, at home against Fanny Pack Fangio. And then if you put Dallas and New England, you can drive Dallas all the way down to 16 and a half and New England all the way down to 17. That five-way teaser pays out better than four-to-one odds. It's a plus 410. Which one of those goes wrong? Well, Jameis Winston was involved, so I would say that's a candidate. <laughs> yeah, sure. Now, the reason that I like Tampa in this position is because so far this season, their run defense has been damn good. They, they're averaging 68 and a half yards uh, against the rush a game, and um, that sets up nicely for you know contesting the, the Giants where you just pack the box, you take Saquon Barkley out of the equation as much as possible and say, Daniel Jones, I'm inviting you. Here's your invitation. Please try and throw the ball to beat us. Yeah. And, so and Arians is pretty good. I watched the whole Bucks Panthers game last week, and I think the Bucks are pretty good. They realized in that game, please don't lose the game for us, Jameis. They ran the ball a lot. Um, really didn't ask him to do a ton. And he still misses wide open guys and does Jameis things, but it did seem like they were more settling into who they are. They still haven't been able to figure out how to get Mike Evans involved, but I just can't put them in a tease. I'm sorry, House. Okay, okay. okay I just that's fine. I I just don't trust Jameis in any capacity. Like if you were what saying if, let's bet if, him straight up, I would rather do that than tie him to other. What teams. if I do this? Why don't we swap out Tampa and drop in Minnesota? Minnesota no, minus three no, at home against Oakland. No, no? you don't oh, like that. Oh, Kirk Cousins is a step up from Jameis Winston. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I don't like that at all. Uh, the uh, here's what I was thinking for a teaser: the Chiefs are home against the Ravens. The line's either six and a half or seven. Um, we'll go with six and a half because it's more favorable to what I want to do. The Ravens <laughs> they kill Miami, who by all accounts is the worst team maybe of all time. Last week, Arizona. Frisky, hanging around. Frisky. Frisky. They they have to Lamar has to make a beautiful pass just to just to clinch the game. And they end up winning by six. Uh we haven't seen them play from behind yet. And I, I I'm not sure about their their defense. It just seems like there's real value here where people seem to think the Ravens might be better than they are. They haven't proven it yet. I'm not saying they aren't. Whereas we know the Chiefs are good. We know they're fucking awesome at home. And especially in the regular season, they're just dangerous. We know Mahomes is the best player in the league. And if I can bring them down to 0.5 points, they just have to beat yeah, the Ravens. They have to win. Yeah. I love that. And I, I love the Packers. I think Flacco's done as a starting quarterback. And we know the Packers' defense is really good. We, we saw the Packers... Thursday night, week one, not play well, but pull a game out because their defense. Week two, jumped up on Minnesota, kind of held on for dear life, but their defense came through again. I just like their defense. And 
Now you're putting Flacco in Lambeau Field against that defense. From what we've seen from Denver, I don't understand how they're going to move the ball. What am I missing? Absolutely nothing. We watched them not move the ball for the entire game uh, at home against the Bears uh, last week. Even with the Bears visibly gassed, they were gasping for air. That was the only way that uh, Denver got that late score. And I, I mean, there's just no scenario under which I'm done with Denver and Joe Flacco and, and Fanny Pack Fangio for this season. Like, I don't know what the scenario is going to be unless they play uh, uh, Miami. I haven't looked at the schedule. That would be the only scenario under which you see me buy into this Denver team. All right. So here's what I'm doing. Bet number one. We're doing that teaser. Chiefs Packers. You just want to do two? You don't want to layer in a couple square plays? On Dallas or New England? No. Okay. You don't want to F it up. You don't want to anger the football gods. Do I think the Chiefs will beat Baltimore? Yes. Do I think the Packers will beat the Bears by two or more points? Yes. I am teasing them together. Six-point tease. Teasing the Chiefs down to 0.5. Teasing the Packers down to 1.5. Both teams have to win. I'm going to trust two home teams. At a good point in the season for them, just taking care of business. And it's a teaser, so we got to put a little more on that. So we're betting 300K on that. If I lose, I lose 360. Oh, why don't you do, why don't you bet 330 to win 300? I thought a teaser was minus 120. It, I think it's, I see it as minus 110. I'm looking at it right now. If it's just a two leg teaser. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. All right. So, 300K on that. If I lose, it ends up being minus 330. So that's okay. one. Second one, my Colts. Yeah. The line has dipped to Colts by one and a half over the Atlanta Falcons, who were a fourth and three away from being 0-2 and people talking about Dan Quinn getting fired. I'm going to read a couple quotes to you from you about the Colts that I that I read in The Athletic. Left tackle Anthony Costanzo talking about uh, the two and the uh, one and one start, but the two really good games they played. I think it speaks to the kind of team that we have. I would like to see what would happen to any other team if their franchise quarterback retires unexpectedly. It speaks to the kind of team that we have. And I think Luck knew that when he made that decision. He put that faith in us as well. We're a good team, man. Linebacker Darius Leonard. No disrespect to Andrew. He was a great quarterback, but it happened. We can't focus on that. That won't help us win or lose. Now every man has to step up. This ain't no one-man show. What is that? What does that feel like? It's festering house. Do you feel it? Yeah. I Can you yes. feel that nobody I, believes I, in us festering? Can I, you feel it, really, it boiling in the it pot? Is, it's welling up from St. Elmo's. It's, 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 it's boiling up the way it's got some spice just like that, that, uh, Cocktail sauce on the shrimp, shrimp cocktail. It's brewing. So they're only favored by one and a half against the Falcons. I think that's crazy. The Falcons on the road just in general have, have especially they've fallen behind a lot and weird things happen with them. The Colts, Marlon Max banged up, but I actually like the backup, Jordan Wilkins. He was the guy who busted that big run in in Sunday's game, but um, they have him, they have Hines. I, they just, it's a next, it's a next guy steps up kind of mentality. I, Max, a tough dude. I bet he ends up playing anyway. 
I think this team knows who they are. I think the Colts fans love this team. I think they're going to be really, really loud and fired up for this game. And I don't think the Falcons are good. I hate to, I, I'm sorry, but I know somebody's got to come out of that NFC South, but I, I think this is a really nice spot for the Colts. And I do feel like I'm getting a point and a half for free. This line, the fact that this line is in Colts by three is just insane to me. So I want to put uh, 300 on that as well. What do you think, Haas? I'm right there with you. you. We're all in on the Colts this season. You started off this million-dollar picks extolling the virtues of the Colts. The only thing, I hate to even breathe word of this. I'm knocking on wood because I don't want to speak this into existence. Adam oh, Vinatieri is the reason that they're not 2-0, and and he is the, uh, a wild-card factor to all this. Now, you mentioned this is their home debut. He is going to be kicking in a place that he is extremely comfortable and familiar. If he's going to get that mojo back, he's going to do it this week at home. They might let him kick six field goals just to shut everybody up. Yeah, and I, I, I absolutely love um, this this Colts team. I love the the vibes that you're describing here. I agree with you that there's value. Let's do this Colts uh, at three hundred thousand. We uh. We watched a lot of that game on Sunday, and we both liked that team. I would mention, Vinatieri has been more than shaky, but Matt Bryant has been shaky too. So it's actually a bad, it's a shaky field goal kicker off. Third team, another another team that we've Presented had. by shakies. Yeah. Another team that we've had two weeks in a row, and we're going to have a third time, is the Rams, who continue to be yeah. outrageously undervalued. This week, they're minus three in Cleveland, on Monday night. Explain that to me, House. I, I cannot. I don't know. I There must be some lingering effect of what everybody watched with the Browns last year uh, affecting the, 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 the perception and, and, and these lines because I haven't seen one thing so, thus far this season out of the Cleveland Browns other than the tremendous... Uh, catch and run by ODB. Well, the two plays by ODB, the one-handed catch by ODB and and this the the screen release uh by him. Holy shit is ODB incredible when he when he's just, you know, throw the ball in his direction and he's motivated. We got motivated ODB. Other than that, there is not there's nothing that I see out of uh Cleveland that that makes me think that they're they're, they're not in this class. Like they should be uh, six-point underdogs in this game to the Rams. It's an absolute outrageous line. You you didn't even mention Sean McVay versus Freddie Soup Kitchens. What about that? What about the coaching advantage? Freddie. What about the fact that Baker Mayfield's looked like crap, and he's getting he's getting pretty beaten up in these games, but he's also hasn't looked good. And if you remove, you know, the Jets are in a terrible defense on that Odell play. They give him the whole middle of the field. It's a quick pass, catches him eight yards from the line of scrimmage, and then he runs the other 81, and then it looks like Baker Mayfield had a good game. Guess who I traded in one of my fantasy leagues this week? Baker Mayfield. I'd, I'd seen enough. Bye-bye, Baker. I'd seen enough. I traded him to uh, with Jameson Crowder for Keenan Allen to my friend Jim Grady. But um, I just haven't liked what I've seen. And Nick Chubb, it seems like he's good, except for the part that their line can't block. 
and he's just running into guys that are coming at him full steam. I don't think they're he very doesn't good. have anywhere to go. They they they're not setting up any kind of play action that's going to create any room for him. It's pretty rough. So, I think the only reason I can think this line is that high. It's Rams on the road. Jared Goff, Cleveland fans would be going nuts. And I just think people are overvaluing the Browns. I do not think they are a good football team. I haven't thought that all year. I didn't understand Browns media. I think people just want this to happen because they like Mayfield and they like Odell Beckham. But I love the Rams and I believe in the three receivers. I think the weird game last week where that touchdown should have happened, I agree. I still think they win the game. Breeze goes out. I still think they win the game. I think they could have had 30 plus points if they had been foot in the gas pedal the whole time. And uh, I like the Rams. So we're going 300K on them as well. So three bets, 300K in the Rams minus three in Cleveland, 300K in the Colts minus one and a half home against the Falcons. And then a teaser for 300 Chiefs minus six and a half Packers minus seven and a half, six point tees. That leaves us with a hundred K to play with house. Oh, let's play with it. I got a little surprise for you. I'm listening. The Emmys are this weekend. Oh, hey now. Veep. It's minus 125. Yeah. Last season. Um, you know what the, you know what the Emmys loves doing? Oh the, yeah, the, I know. I I know right where you're headed with this one. The Victory Lap Award. Oh yeah. So you got Veep at minus one twenty five. We have Julia Louis Dreyfus at minus six hundred. Minus six hundred to win the win the Emmy for Best Actress. This is she's Great. she's bravely fought cancer and defeated it. She has established herself as the greatest TV actress, I think, ever. The Meryl Streep of TV actresses. She was great in the BS podcast, by the way. Um, this could go one of two ways. Either we go with we go with uh, Veep minus 125 and hope that Fleabag doesn't step in at plus 450 and steal it away because people do love Fleabag. Or we say there's no way in hell she's not winning at minus 600 and I just lay a huge vague on that. I I like a parlay here. I like going all in. I like going with Jonah's balls and and Jerry Jones's balls. I I want to do a minus one twenty five Veep minus six hundred J L D and minus thirty five hundred the Dallas Cowboys money line to win the game outright over. The uh, uh, Miami Dolphins, that pays out plus odds, B- BS. That's plus 116. What? Is yeah, that true? You can get plus odds if you parlay those three. Minus 125 for Veep, minus 600 for JLD, and minus 3,500 for the Dallas Cowboys money line, plus 116. Why don't we do that one? Kyle's excited. Let's do All it. right. 100K on that. That's our last bet. JLD <laughs> with Veep. Uh, Veep to win. You sure you don't want to throw in Bear, uh, Bill Hader for Barry as well? No, too risky. What? He, he's minus. Or you could throw in 
Let's see how much after the Patriots is is minus seven thousand. No, we're not doing that. You don't want to do that one too. No, well, I, I liked what you laid out. Cowboys money line. Okay. JLD minus six hundred, and then Veep minus one twenty five takes us to plus one sixteen, and we'll put a hundred k on that as well. House, love it. A pleasure as always. You're uh, always a pleasure. Yours in veal parmesan for life. We'll talk to you next week. Clams bungoli for life. <laughs> All right, we're bringing on Mr. O'Rourke in one second. First. On average, a burglary happens once every 23 seconds in the U.S., but only one in five homes have home security, probably because most companies don't make it easy. It's kind of like when you're picking up guys in fantasy and the apps are so freaking complicated. And it's just like, I just want to search for players and click one. And it's like it, the, you hit the wrong button. It goes backwards. And why is it such a hassle? Simply safe, not a hassle. They make it easy. On you, no contract, hidden fees, or fine print. They protect every door, window, and room with 24-7 professional monitoring for just $15 a month. It's won a ton of awards. One thing that truly makes Simply Safe stand out is their video verification technology. When other home security systems are triggered, police often assume it's a false alarm and the call goes to the bottom of the list. Not with Simply Safe. With video verification technology, they can visually confirm that the break-in is happening, allowing police to get to the scene three and a half times faster. You've been hearing about Simply Safe on this podcast since forever. It is affordable. It works. It makes sense. If you go to simplysafe.com slash BS, you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Simply Safe with two eyes, simplysafe.com slash BS. Check it out. And since we're here, I wanted to mention uh, the hottest take on Spotify. Subscribe to that. You get four a week. Uh, people really like this podcast. You should check it out. Short podcast, seven minutes, one take. That's it. Rosillo's got a doozy coming next week. The 1700s are involved. You're going to be excited. Uh, all right. Let's do it. Uh, Beto O'Rourke is going to come on and he's coming on because we have a mutual friend who works for his campaign and just thought we would have a good conversation. And I was just like, you know what? Let's do it. I want to find out what it's like to run for president. So I think you're going to like this. Check it out. Here it is. We taped this on Wednesday morning. So here you go. All right. So what are all the mispronunciations for your name? Beto. Beto. That's what, Beto. that's how I've said it a few times. Beto. Yeah. But that's wrong. Yeah. It's Beto. But most people screw that up. A lot of people do. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's, uh, unless you're in El Paso yeah, where there are a lot of Betos, you know, there's, uh, Betos tacos, wood floors by Betos. Your mailman might be named Beto outside of El Paso. There aren't a lot of Betos in the world. So folks can be forgiven for saying Beto or Beto or. I've got it now. Cause you introduced me yourself and I was like, all right, I've really got to remember how to, I'm like the mispronunciation king. So we're catching you. You're on the, uh, you're on the circuit. You're around. You're doing these debates. I'm fascinated by 10 people on stage. Yeah. Everybody fighting for time. People raising their hand like they're in like the third grade. Yeah. Um, people going past the buzzer and all the mechanics of that. What's it like to debate people when there's too many people on the stage? It must be miserable. It's, it's a really intense experience. Um, the last debate was almost three hours. And going into it, 
<clears throat> maybe not unlike going into a big game or a big match or a big moment in your life, your the aperture of your focus and your thinking just closes and becomes tight, as you can imagine. Um, you know, blood pressure is up. Um, you're just wired. <clears throat> and that, for me, in the last debate, held through for the first 20 or 30 minutes. And then I remember there was this moment where I was asking myself your question. I was like, what is going on? And I could kind of, um, you know, ascend and and just look out over this debate stage and people raising their hands. I could, I could begin to enjoy what was happening. Cory Booker made a joke. He said, you know, I'll tell you the answer. It's no. And I'll repeat it in Spanish. It's no. And I thought that was funny. And I, I found myself laughing, which if it had happened 30 minutes before, I would have been too nervous to do. I couldn't have been able to to take it in. So you um, have adrenaline those first 25, 30 oh, minutes, like, yeah. like a game. Almost debilitating adrenaline, to be honest with you. You're, I, I find that my speech is choppy. Words are stilted. Um, you know, I, I, I can't, uh, my, my field of, of reference just shuts down. And then as I calm down and breathe and open up, you know, so does that that field and the things, the stories I can pull in, um, the things that I can think of that are related to the question that was just asked. But <clears throat> the the jockeying and the posturing to get in, to interrupt, uh, to extend your time, all that's really interesting to me. And I don't by any means think that I've figured that out, but I do know that I'm getting better. That was my third the presidential reps are debate. Good, yeah. Yeah. The, so that was, that was our best one yet. And then we have one coming up uh, in less than a month in, in October in Ohio. I used to have, when I was first doing TV, when ESPN was making me go on, it wasn't nerves. It was like adrenaline. Yeah. And you know, when it's, when it gets all quiet on the set and you're just like, all right, here we go. And you just kind of start to feel it. And it's tough to, I, I did PTI this week and I've, I've done a, shows like that so many times. Now you kind of learn how to, so I'm sure it's the same thing with these debates. Like the more you do them, the more you're just kind of find your inner peace go. Yeah. And then you have this, you know, after 40, 45 minutes, you could, there's a three minute commercial break and all the candidates go backstage and you have, you know, I had some, uh, peanut butter goo and, um, I asked Cynthia on my team to go to the running store and find these little energy gels that cyclists and, and runners take just to see if that was going <laughs> right. to help me out. And then you're making small talk with the other candidates who are back there. They're getting touched up with, with makeup or they're using the bathroom. You're taking PEDs. Take an EPO like cyclists in Europe. Blood transfusion, basically. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Do you feel, is it, so you're all backstage and you're competing with each other. Yeah. But there must be like a couple people you're clicking with that you're like, all right, that guy's kind of my friend or that lady, I've, I've always gotten along with her. You must gravitate toward like two of the th three, yeah. right? Th there's some people who are genuinely social, even backstage. Everyone has to be social on the stage. Um, so- Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden came up and he'd said something really nice in the first part of the debate about El Paso and our response to that. And I said, Hey, Joe, thank you. That was really kind. And then he just, you know, he's, he's genuinely, he genuinely loves people yeah. and loves talking. And so that was just a really easy conversation. Bernie will typically be sitting on his own, um, and doesn't really engage. And that's very true to him and his personality. Yeah. Uh, always nice though. And, and, you know, has a kind word to say when, when we engage, so yeah, that that dynamic backstage is pretty interesting as as well. Um, everyone also just kind of collecting themselves before you go in for the next forty five minutes. And you know, did I mess up in that last round? And do I need to get this thing in? Am I getting enough time? What's what's my strategy to come back in? 
And unlike almost every other living moment of our lives, you don't have your cell phone or any connection to the rest of the world. So it's really just you, your head, and the other players or the other candidates um, who are backstage with you. But yeah, really interesting experience. Did you feel like the first debate, you didn't seem that comfortable? No, I wasn't. Do you? Can you feel that even as it's happening? Like, oh, oh shit, yeah. I'm kind of... That was... I'm, the, kind, I'm kind of tanking this a tiny bit here. That was the inter, in, interior monologue yeah. going on of like, how, how do I find this rhythm? How, how can I be comfortable? The way I'm comfortable in a town hall meeting or the yeah. way I'm comfortable just having a conversation with someone on, on the street, how, how do I get that back? Why am I so wired right now? Um, and part of that was there were so many things I was trying to accomplish in that first debate, all these things that I wanted to get out there, all these facts that I wanted to lay down. You're also loaded with so much opposition research on literally every other candidate out there, none of which I felt comfortable dropping. You know, uh, so-and-so voted for for this bill in 1996. You just got to nail them on that. Well, yeah. who, who cares? Like that that's not exciting or interesting to me. And just going back to retrieve that information, to drop it and check the box, it, I think that can become almost paralyzing. Um, that's and it our, wasn't, wasn't that's our to culture me. right now, though. <clears throat> totally, it's like let's go back twenty three years and yeah. get somebody, yeah, something they did or wrote or said, right. And then, given what's going on in the country right now, um, the kind of threat that we face, or the kind of challenges that are left unresolved before us, all that stuff seems so small ball, um, and is not really what's on people's minds. At least as I listen to them across the country, they could care less how you voted twenty years ago, or or your age, or or any other factor that in another you know, era might've been disqualifying or at least relevant. They just don't care right now. Just how am I going to afford my prescription medication or good chances, the younger you are, what in the hell are you going to do about the fact that this planet is cooking? And unless we do something really soon, we will lose it forever. Or this guy, Donald Trump and his open racism or these weapons of war that were just used against people in El Paso, Texas. I want to hear your answer on that. So yeah. that, that really seems to drive the conversation wherever I am in the country, may not be on the minds of the moderators and, and may not make for good TV because I think the incentive there is to draw contrast and also drama and conflict. Um, that's what's going to be good for, for ratings. That's great for headlines. may not be great for the policy discussion. It may not be true to who we are as people. So that's the dynamic within which we've got to play. I poked fun at you in this pod a couple months ago because I my sense was, was like everybody seems to like him I'm not really sure what he's passionate about. I'm not sure why he's running. Yeah. I don't know why he's here other than that he's likable. So why is he here? And it seems like over the last couple of months, you found your voice in a, in a bunch of different ways. And, you know, unfortunately, I think what happened in El Paso probably was part of that. But I have a better sense of, of at least who you are and what you care about. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is stuff you're thinking about behind the scenes or how much of it is just getting the reps? Like what is the process that leads to like, oh, I actually get why I'm doing this. I think always got it, um, always knew, or else you wouldn't undertake something like this, right? You, you wouldn't. But you have to, I have to know. You have to feel that. Absolutely. I have to know. Totally. You know? Yes, totally. Um, I, I think El Paso and meeting people who had lost somebody, um, meeting people who had almost lost their lives, meeting people who are still, even today, six weeks later, pulling through and in a hospital room, has to change you and, and absolutely changed me. And many of the things that I had been saying from the very beginning that you know, Donald Trump doesn't just offend you. 
and and don't focus on that. Don't don't be outraged. Um, don't say no president has ever done anything like this before. Connect the dots. The the fact that he's describing these immigrants and people who do not look like or pray like or love like the majority in this country, he's saying they're dangerous and he's saying that they're a threat. And he's laughing when people talk about shooting them or using violence against them. And and that's changing us. And I was saying that all along the trail, all across America. What I wasn't doing, to your point, was was bringing that urgency and that passion. It, w- it was almost, you know, you know, it, it was almost laying out the facts. And look, folks, you figure it out. I, I'm 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 giving you the information. Yeah. Whereas after El Paso, I was like, Jesus Christ, um, we we all failed on, on this one. It wasn't enough for me to say that. It wasn't enough to be right on this. Um, what counted is to to stop this or to bring other people out and understand that this is happening in our name as as Americans right now. And I'm never going to make that mistake again. I'm, I'm never going to allow this to pass as business as usual or to deny the fact that that we should be angry right now. And that's perfectly okay. And in fact, in the words of Joe Strummer, that that can be power. Um, and, and if ever there were a moment to feel that, express it, and then channel it in the right direction, it is right now under the presidency of the most dangerous man who's ever held the office who could very well end this country as we know it. And, and I feel like the stakes are, are that great. Um, and the, the moment is, is that important. And I'm going to make sure that that is coming through in, in everything I say, everything I do, and, and everywhere I go, the people with whom I spend time. So after El Paso, we go right to Mississippi have no idea where that ranks in the nominating process Yeah, um, as, you, as you make your way to the convention. But it had just been the site of the s- largest single state raid by ICE agents in the history of the country. 700 people rounded up at chicken processing plant jobs for no other crime than they came from another country for the privilege of making our food for us and doing it at a price that makes it more affordable, raising their U.S. citizen children, making their communities and our country great. But it's connected to that terror that the president wants people to feel who come from other countries to this country. So I wanted to be there and tell their stories and connect it to what had happened in El Paso and what might happen going forward unless we change things. At what point does the Democratic Party decide, all right, we've got to we got to back like two or three people here yeah. and go because we're running out of time if we're going to try to flip this. Yeah. Because having 10 people on a stage in September just feels like at some point we have to at least whittle some people down. Or do you like the way it is now where everybody still has a chance? Because I, fi- it seems like just watching from afar, it felt like you'd kind of missed your boat to some degree. Now you've found your voice again. And it's like, who knows? It's not like anybody's pulled away. Right. Is the process the right process? It is. And and I think the answer to your question at, at what point do you winnow the field is determined in Iowa and in New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada. And then to an extent here in California and in Texas on Super Tuesday, that's the process as designed. Um, these debates, 10 people, 20 people, however many people are on a stage or however many nights they need to accommodate everyone. That's the process by which you can make an informed decision at that Iowa caucus or that New Hampshire primary. And so this is a little bit of a challenge. And I'll tell you, as a candidate on that stage, trying to stand out or distinguish yourself or fight for time, I think we had all of nine minutes uh, over the course of of three hours. Yeah. But I think we made them count. But 
You know, that can be frustrating for sure, but it's the best kind of problem that we could have, that this democracy is still vibrant enough that this many people want to get in to this level of sacrifice, put out this many different competing ideas or visions for the country or biographies or life experiences, all that brought to bear on the greatest set of challenges that we've ever known. I love that. And um, I'm, I'm truly grateful to be in it and also really appreciative of all these other candidates who've come out there, some of whom I'm going to disagree with uh, from time to time, and all of whom I'm competing against. But every one of them, I'm I'm proud of and just grateful to be part of this. Well, there was two moments in the, in the debate last week. One was just a bunch of people talking to you about guns, like really appreciating your passion about it, which was kind of unusual for a debate right. stage right. where everybody's like, we're, kind of, we're on your side. It's like, oh, but you're all competing with each other. And then when Castro did a couple barbs at Biden that he then claimed after like, no, I didn't totally mean the age thing, but in the room, it's, it definitely felt like an age thing. And it's like, come on, dude, you, you were definitely playing the age card on that. And at the same time, it's like that, that does seem like actually a valid thing to bring up in a debate when people get in their mid seventies, like who knows, do you, is there a line you won't cross when you're on these debates, like talking about something like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be a line I, yeah. I wouldn't cross. Um, and also, I, I mentioned this earlier about all this opposition research that we are each loaded with. And, and every candidate on that stage knows something damaging or outright damning about every other candidate on, on that stage. It, it just seems so small to this moment. I, I think any other year, any other time, go for it. Um, this moment, this time, this president who I really believe could destroy the country. If if you're focused on Joe Biden's age or how Bernie Sanders voted in, in 1996 or any other thing from the long distant past or any difference that, that really does not matter at this moment, then I think we lose sight of, of the big picture and the real challenge. I agree. Uh, so that, that's, that's, what I tried to reflect on that debate stage the other night. I didn't really go after anybody in, in that way. If there, if there were, um, a, a real difference on something that I think the American people needed to know about, I, I think that's, that's the moment to engage. Um, and we could do that on any policy issue. Guns might be one of them. There, there's clear differences yeah. on guns on that debate stage. If you had to do it over again, some of the stuff that was going on with you where you had, you know, you almost beat Ted Cruz. You're in the Vanity Fair cover there's a documentary about you. Right. And it's a little bit like what happened with the Cleveland Browns this season in the NFL, where there's a lot of hype, a lot of hype, a lot of hype. Right. And then they look bad in the first game and everyone's like, ha, see, right. see, they're not that good. And you're almost like loading up the deck against you. Would you do that differently now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think something I really loved about the Senate campaign, by contrast, was we began in absolute obscurity. Yeah. Nobody knew who the hell I was. I lived in the westernmost of 254 counties, the only one in the mountain time zone, was traveling county to county, and we got to all 254 by truck, showing up, listening to people, meeting them where they were, listening, learning, never polling, um, and and not on anyone's radar for forever. And I loved it. Um, when we started in, in this campaign, the expectations were to the moon. Um, the, the coverage was so intense. I, I was not even a decided, much less a declared candidate. Uh, and there were other campaigns 
coming at us, not necessarily in an official or condoned way by the candidate themselves, but their partisans and supporters were just going to town. So we were almost in the race before we decided that we were going to be in the race from the media speculation to what was going on on social what media. Do you, what and, do you and think Twitter. people, your competitors at that point were sensing that made you dangerous to them? Just like a young energy? Like what were they, well, th- what well, were they seeing? Something extraordinary happened in, in Texas. It, we, we, we broke the politics uh, of Texas that had been this solidly, reliably low voter turnout red state for my entire adult life. And though we didn't beat Cruz, we not only won more votes than any Democrat, we won independence for the first time in decades. That's a huge bellwether. We won more than 400,000 Republicans who voted for a Republican for governor and me for senator. And it wasn't like I was some middle-of-the-road candidate. I was talking about reproductive freedoms. I was talking about an assault weapons ban. I was talking about universal health care, comprehensive immigration reform. So I was talking about the things that matter most to me, but I was talking about them everywhere and bringing everyone in. And we went from a state that ranked 50th in voter turnout in a midterm election to a state that saw record levels of turnout, young voter turnout up in early voting, 500%. So Did you think you had a chance? Was was there a moment there where you're like, we're actually winning this? Absolutely. Um, I was trying to explain this feeling to to my wife the other night. was not ever a great basketball player. I made it all the way to eighth grade at El Paso High under Dow Farley uh, (laughs) before I realized I needed to join the cross-country team. But there's this, you know, when even before the ball leaves your hand, you you know it's going in. You you just have that feeling. And I don't always have that feeling in life, and and it's a very rare feeling. I felt that in the Senate race. Not the whole way, but but by the end, I was like, this is going in. I I feel this. I'm, I'm on this trajectory no one, no campaign worked harder. And when I say campaign, there, there were just tens of thousands of us all across the state of Texas, people coming into the state of Texas to help out. It was the largest grassroots effort you've ever seen. And the energy, uh, which I, I don't know that I can describe and it's hard to quantify, was just absolutely unreal. I felt it. I, I knew we could do it. And, and no poll said we would. Almost no pundit said we could. And and yet I felt it. And And I was incredibly disappointed and very surprised when we were down 2.6 that night. I just, it was hard for me to accept. It just did not, that did not reflect what I had been feeling leading up to um, election night. But when we took some stock of it with some distance and some perspective, you know, that huge voter turnout, two new members of Congress, both Democrats. You look back and you're like, oh, we're in Texas. This is basically yeah. impossible. <laughs> no, this is the all-time road game in sports. The, uh, you know, helping to flip the House of Representatives, um, yeah. two Democrats replacing long-serving Republicans in Texas, 17 African-American women elected to judicial positions in Harris County, Houston, you know, changing the face of criminal justice. We changed the composition of the state legislature. We will have a Democratic majority in Texas in 2020, which is that's amazing. something that was unthinkable yeah. two years ago and is going to happen within the next year and a half. Um, and then there's these 38 electoral college votes. And, you know, for those who are, you know, beginning the calculations in in the delegate math, um, they've got us fourth of the 20 some odd declared candidates in terms of uh, predicted delegate totals. A lot of that has to do with Texas. A lot of that has to do with the organization that we all stood up in Texas that can help us to win those delegates, but also can help us to win those electoral college votes in November. So that's a really strong 
very compelling argument at a time that so many people want to make sure that job number one is defeating Donald Trump. Texas is a game changer in that calculation. So are you starting to feel that energy again a little bit? I am. Yeah. Absolutely. And we just spent, in addition to being on the debate stage in Houston, spent some time in Katy, spent some time in, in Plano. Um, these are communities just outside of Houston and Dallas that are reliably conservative and red, but are fired up and, and are energized and, and are excited, even in some conservative places that we're talking about things that are a third rail in American politics, certainly when it comes <laughs> like to- Like taking guns. Like taking guns. There's this guy in, in Katy, we'd, we'd stop to use the restroom before going to the no-label brewing event. And uh, he said, this is going to surprise you. Um, I'm a Republican, never voted for a Democrat, likely will never vote for a Democrat, own an AR-15. What you said on that debate stage last night is exactly how I feel and absolutely what must happen in this country. So so thank you for saying it. Um, that that kind of surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting that response. Well, and, and that felt like Texas where folks, we, we just assumed so much, written people off altogether, never showed up and listened to them. Who could blame them for voting for the other side or the Republican candidate. So bringing people in, there, there's a real power to that. And, and I feel like that's something that we've excelled at and that we're pursuing right now um, and, and is going to result in being able to build a coalition, much like we saw in Texas, that can defeat Donald Trump and can bring a very divided country back together again. I, look, I don't understand the case against getting rid of uh, AR-15s and AK-47s. I just don't understand it. I don't understand how any person who lives in this country could think that would be a good idea for other human beings to have those two guns. Right. So what's the case? Like, what's the what's the best rationalization you've heard for, no, no, we should still have these. It's cool. I'll give you one. I was um, last Wednesday at my son Ulysses' cross-country meet. And he just finished the first mile and they're coming through and I've got my iPhone and I'm videotaping him. And this guy next to me says... Um, hey, can I talk politics with you for a second? <laughs> and I said, you know, let, let me let me just grab my son coming through. And then I turned to him and I said, sure. And he said, I like you. Uh, I want to vote for you, but I have an AR-15. And I, I just can't square this one. Um, are, are you saying you want to take that from me? And I said, well, and I talked about this as a weapon of war, what we just saw in El Paso. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I think that's the right thing to do. And he said, my reading of the Second Amendment is that that AR-15 protects me from the government. And the Second Amendment is there to make sure that the citizens can stand up for themselves if we need to against a tyrannical government. And I said, okay, I, I hear you on that. In, in my reading of the Constitution and American history, that was decided in 1865. We, we, just, we just don't do that in this country. And frankly, if you are going to arm yourself sufficient to take on the United States government, you know, you need to get some fighter jets and some yeah. nuclear submarines and your AR-15 is, is absolutely going to be insufficient. Um, you don't need it to hunt. You don't need it to protect yourself in, in your home. If you used it to hunt, the, the animal would be just destroyed. There are some, some folks, some ranchers in Texas who will tell you that they have, and they do, a real problem with feral hogs and that an AR-15 or an AK-47 is their most effective, efficient weapon against those feral hogs. Uh, maybe so, there's something to, to that argument. It's funny, we were in Roscoe, Texas at a high school talking about this very issue. This is during the Senate race, and you know, 17, 18-year-old student raises his hand and says this, says, hey, I need that AR-15 to, to shoot these hogs on our, on our ranch. And the teacher 
there who was, I, I believe, a, a combat veteran said, you know, if you need an AR-15 to shoot that hog, then you, you are a bad shot. <laughs> right, seriously. You know, so he, he, he I, I don't know if the teacher necessarily agrees with my position, but he was, he was saying, look, you, you don't need that really for, for any reason. And, and he would have the basis in it, right? He, he carried a, a variant of that in Vietnam. And I've had veterans who've come up to me and said, you know, that, that young man at Marjorie Stillman Douglas who was hunting kids in the hallway of that school was better armed there than I was in the jungle of Vietnam. This makes absolutely no sense. So, no, I can't find the rational, logical argument that is in the least bit compelling or persuasive. It's really been the politics of this issue and the fear that should you cross the NRA, uh, should you engage um, the gun lobby uh, sufficient to raise their ire, then you've doomed your election prospects or your ability to stay in office. That really has been the rule in our politics. And it it helps to explain the otherwise inexplicable Centers for Disease Control not able to even study gun violence. It would be like telling the Surgeon General, you cannot study the connection between tobacco use and lung cancer and lung cancer deaths in America because we, we just don't want to have to do anything about it. That's literally what we have decided to do in the world's greatest democracy. So I, I hope this is not because of anything I've done, but Moms Demand, March for Our Lives, people who are just sick of this. Um, no, I this, think this you've is helped, a breakthrough though. moment. I think you've definitely helped. I mean, it seems like there's a middle ground for this. That's the part I don't understand. There's still plenty of guns left. Yeah. Start with these two. Everybody's better off. There's no case against, you know, I'm sorry, you might not, you might need a different gun to kill your feral hog, but um, we could we could probably make this happen. So if you were a basketball player, you know, every basketball player has a weak spot. You know, they might not be able to go to their left. They might not have a good 20-footer. What's your weak spot? What do you have to improve on? Oh man. Um, what, like I'll, what's, what's on a debate where you're like, oh man, I got to bone up on that for like eight more hours. You know, l less the debates more in, um, town halls, this interview, the constructive feedback from, from folks and from my team is I need to be more concise. Uh, I, 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 I talk too much. Um, podcasts are good for you though. Want, want to add podcasts. too much context? Yeah. I, I like this. This, this is a great, this is format, a good format, but, right? But you know, folks will say, hey, remember, you have 60 seconds in the debate to answer. If, if this is a rejoinder, you have 30 seconds to get this point across. So, uh, I, you know, this isn't the time for you to tell that story about the person that you met in Roscoe in that high school classroom. Right. Just, what do you want to do on, on assault weapons? And You know, my, sports TV is like that, by the way. It's like topic, boom, yeah. 45 to 60 seconds. You have to get out, make yeah. your point, go. And, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I'm middle-aged. I'm 47 years old. Um, maybe I am still a part of another era where I'm used to and enjoy having a real conversation with people. And, and yet this is an era and an age that really favors being extraordinarily concise and punchy and, and saying something sensational and shocking within the 30 seconds that you have. I'm not so good at that. And I think you asked me about my first debate performance. I was trying to be good in that way. You know, so we have 60 seconds. We're going to lay down these three points. You're going to have a basic value statement, and then you're going to tag somebody with your last 10 seconds. Well, shit, I can't remember all that. And yeah. Pull, and that's not me. That's not who I am. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a weak spot for me. But, um, you know, I, I think I'm more than ever before accepting who I am and, uh, you know, wartness, uh, warts, weakness, and all. Um, that's that's uh, part of me. I'm dreading 2020. I think it's going to be one of the worst years in this country since I've been alive. And I think it's going to be really polarizing and angry and 
the social media slash internet stuff that's going to come with it. Yeah. I just think it's going to be a really dark year, no matter how it turns out. Um, talk me out of this. <laughs> you, you were talking me to your to your point of view. I was nodding my head and agreeing with you. I, I think it's going to be really, really tough, and we should be under no illusion that it's going to be easy. But I also have to tell you, and I have the perspective of traveling the country um, so much and so often, really just all the time. Um, people, and especially young people, are are up to this challenge and and this moment. You know, there used to be when I was in high school, you'd have the city council rep or the mayor come and be like, you know, important for you kids to to think about registering to vote and to get after it. And here's some important issues. When I visit high schools, when I visit colleges it's the other way around. They, they are on top of everything. They are organized. They're registered. They're ready to go. They're leading on these issues and really setting the terms of the debate. So I'll give you an example. The, the Marjorie Stoneman students and, and other young people across this country who comprise March for Our Lives, they came up with this incredibly bold peace plan on gun violence in, in this country. They weren't waiting to get behind some candidate or some policy platform. They decided what it would be, defined it, got it out there, and then asked all the candidates where they were according to, you know, um, their values and, and what was important to them and whether they were really going to have the guts to say what was necessary, even if it means defying the NRA or the conventional wisdom and, and politics. So that's inspiring to me. That gives me some confidence. Yeah. That, that means that, you know, March for Our Lives, those young people, they're, they're, they're up to this challenge and they're going to buck us up. They're going to provide some backbone and some political will and some courage where it may be missing. I'm, I'm wearing the uh, North Carolina A&T hat today. Uh, was in Greensboro not too long ago. Four students from that college, February 1, 1960, go into a Woolworth, sit at the lunch counter, order coffee because of the color of their skin or denied, but sit there day after day after day and and through the the, the courage of their convictions, end up not only integrating that lunch counter, but inspiring a country. Other bus boycotts, other sit-ins, uh, ultimately culminating with the Civil Rights Act in 64, Voting Rights Act in 65. Those young people made that happen. And I feel like this moment of peril is producing a similar moment of leadership and, and courage and inspiration. And it's kind of shocking the conscience of this country. How in the world did we get to 40,000 gun deaths a year or only 10 years left to act on climate when we've known everything about the cooking of this planet since 1979 and have done not a single thing. It's really going to be those young people who, who force this. So 2020 is going to be tough, but we have the best possible people in this country engaged right now and leading. And so I'm confident that we'll come through. We will overcome. When do we hear from Obama with this, with all this stuff? It's a good question. Um, I think about him a lot and he comes up a lot in the debates. You, you probably heard his name invoked, uh, his memory engaged uh, as, as a golden era in, in this country. Uh, no one has ever been missed as much as President Obama is, is missed right now. His decency, his grace, and also the fact that he consistently put this country before anything else. And you have the exact opposite happening right now. And, and what is powerful to me and part of the genius of this country is you had somebody willingly uh, and peacefully turn over the keys to the White House, to a guy who promised to upend and undermine literally everything that he's done and who is doing that right now. And I think I find President Obama 
trying to, to chart a course where he's respectful of the office of this democracy, of our ability to peacefully transition power while ensuring that we're all aware and awake to the real threat and challenge that we face. And I'm confident that that will come in uh, much more strongly, maybe after a nominee is, is selected. Um, but the, the standing that he has, um, the power that he commands, um, that will be employed at some point. And when, when it, you know, his, his judgment on this is better than anyone else's. I think that will be, that will prove decisive in 2020. How many times have you talked to him? Probably in, in my life, uh, four or five times. Uh, last time being before I had made a decision to do this, he was kind enough to to spend some time with me after the Senate race while I was still a member of Congress, um, and just you know wanted to um, congratulate me on a on a well run race, um, and r- really that was the that was the extent of it. And again, overwhelmed. And actually, you we were talking about going into those debates, yeah, or you were talking about going onto the set of of a show. You know, the first five minutes when I'm sitting down with President Obama in his office, I can't, I mean, I can't really think or take in anything. I've done it a couple of times. He's yeah. weirdly intimidating because he's so confident. Totally. Yeah. And you just meet him like, oh, shit, this guy's at a whole other level. I've only met a couple of other people like that. Yeah. Where there's, especially the second time I interviewed him, I had to do it in the White House. And you're there with, you know, these paintings from the 1700s and 1800s and these chairs that are 200 years old and he just turns it into a home game for himself. Yeah. And it's effective because you you just feel like, all right, I'm on this guy's court. He's in control of everything. Totally. And he's super confident, like yeah. relaxed. He comes in, he'll make fun of you at the start. He'll have some little barb and you're just kind of on your heels the whole time. It's yeah. pretty interesting. Like he's very presidential. Yeah. And I'm sure Trump is probably presidential in different ways. Like he's, you know, he's six, four. Yeah. Intimidating. Totally. Looks kind of different than most people. And yeah. <laughs> to be cut. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's something presidential about him too. I do think most people have something. There, there was this um, moment I had resisted the temptation as a member of Congress when president Obama was in the white house to ever get a selfie with him or, you know, no no adulation. We're we're co-equal branches of government, even though we're not co-equal people, we're co-equal branches of government. Obviously, he's in a a much superior position, but there's got to be some respect between the offices, so I'm not going to play that game. But every time I'd come back to El Paso, my kids or any classroom I visited uh, would ask, have you met President Obama yet? Do you have a picture with him? And so we're invited to the White House this one time and, you know, all the Democratic members of of the House. And... President Obama gives us a little talk and answers some questions. And he says, hey, let's, let's all have a drink together. And they, they wheel out these bar carts with, you know, beer and liquor. And, uh, you know, we're all going to have a drink together, just a social hour with the president. Well, of course, there's this massive scrum around him. Everyone vying yeah. for his attention. And I kind of just think this, this is my moment to at least shake his hand so I can tell my kids that I did. And, and I go over and I patiently wait and we make eye contact and our hands connect and grasp. And just then someone taps his shoulder from the other direction and and he looks away and he engages in a conversation while we're still shaking hands. And I'm thinking like, do I hold on to his hand or do I let this hand go? <laughs> and, go. But he's the president. And so I, I'm just going to follow his lead. And it seemed like it was hours that, you know, and I'm thinking yeah. everyone's looking at me and I'm starting. 
Um, and I'm sure it was a matter of seconds uh, or, or maybe a minute. And then he turns around and, hey, I'm Beto O'Rourke. I'm from El Paso, Texas. Thank you, Mr. President, for everything you're doing. He said some nice words. And then I could go back and tell the family, hey, I met. You I should met have had cigarettes. You could be like, hey, want to have a smoke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are the next, uh, what are the next, what's the next debate? When is that? It's mid-October and it's in Ohio. And then and I don't know how what's many the people, schedule after that? Um, like, all, all, all out. I'm sure, I think there are actually a series of debates in November. Are there little levels people have to hit? Like when do yes. we start weeding people down? So, soon, right? Soon. And I don't know what the qualifications will be for the November debate. So it's been a mix of the number of grassroots donors you have and your average polling place. Uh, so you got to poll over a, a certain threshold to qualify for any of these debates. And I'm sure that threshold is going to move up in November. So I've got to be able to qualify for that, which means bringing in more small dollar, five, 10, 15 bucks at a time donors. And then also making sure that I'm relevant uh, enough in, in the polls. And, you know, that's, that's going to be a function of continuing to travel, continuing to speak my mind continuing to engage. And then that's got to resonate. And, and if it does, I'm there. And if it doesn't, um, I'm not there. What do you I'm think there. your, what do you think your family wants to happen? My family would be like 60% rooting for me and 40% <laughs> rooting for it not to happen. Yeah. You know what? It's probably, um, it's probably a mixed bag in, in my family. My wife, Amy is all in, and I really do feel like we're doing this together. Yeah. My kids, the kids are probably like, yeah, this would be cool if this didn't happen. Yeah. They're, and, and they're somewhat inured to this because I'd been a member of Congress. I'd been on the road for two years yeah. as, as a candidate for the Senate. So I don't think they love it. And I think, so my oldest Ulysses, I was home How literally. He? He's 12. I was home literally for a day. It's a tough age. Yeah. They're, it, they're, it, they're very ornery. It's middle school. Yeah. And sixth grade. They get a little, my son's in sixth grade now. He's like, in, he's got an attitude. Hormones are changing. Yeah. Um, you know, moods. Uh, he's, by the way, a phenomenal athlete in a way that I never was. So oh, good. runs cross country, amazing basketball player, played on a travel baseball team. Just so proud of that guy. But, you know, he's, uh, that's hard for him. You know, yeah. hey, dad, you're, you're home, but you're home for a day. He's and, starting to go you, online. He's Googling you. He's checking we on Twitter. We emailed each other. It was the first kind of independent contact I'd had with him where it wasn't his mom saying, hey, write your dad a letter. He'd, he'd love that. Um, I, I found his email address. Um, I didn't know that kids emailed. Found his email address and just shot him a note yesterday. I said, hey, Ulysses, thinking about you. Uh, don't break anyone's ankles on the, on the blacktop today. And, um, and he wrote back, okay, dad. Thanks. And that was like made my day. That <laughs> was a it. total was, sixth grader. Yeah. I'll FaceTime my, I was back East for like five days. I FaceTimed my son. He was doing something else. He's like, all right, cool. See ya. And like, just, I was out. Yeah. I'm like, you realize I pay for everything, right? Such a humbling experience. You realize I brought you into this world, yeah. right? Yeah. Can you give me 45 seconds? Yeah. Yeah. Kids are tough. Yeah. Well, um, good luck with all this stuff. I'll be interested to see how it plays out. I, it does feel like you found your voice, but I, it's, Fascinating to see these 10 people or 15 people. How, how many, how, what's the exact number now? 37. But what's I, the, like the real number? Like 10? I, I think that, so nine I, or 10? I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm going to be at um, Steak Fry in Iowa this weekend, and there are 19 declared presidential candidates who are speaking at that. On the debate stage, they'll be between nine and 12. And so we'll either have one night of nine or 10, 
or two nights of six and five or six and six depends, you know, who, who qualifies. So I, I don't know. Um, and, and, you know, you ask somebody who's not been on that debate stage in a couple of debates, but who's still out there campaigning, they feel like they're just as much a candidate as anyone else. Do you know what my one tweak argue? would be for this debate schedule? Tell me. I think we should have one debate where it's all like stupid questions and like pop culture stuff. Like Kamala Harris, what was your take on the last episode of Friends? And just like knocking people out of their comfort zone to see like what they care about. That's not the actual issues. Right. I'd be really fascinated in that. Who do you think was the best basketball player of all time? And then people just kind of looking around all nervous. Right. Trying to, but I, we always get a sense of the people, the policies. Right. But I don't know enough about the people. And when you're, you know, I think that was one of the reasons Obama succeeded as a president was people felt like his family kind of became this extended family for them, you know, and or George W. Bush. You know, I I don't know if people voted for him based on policy, but I remember famously, you know, folks saying that that's somebody I'd want to have a beer with. I, I like that guy. Totally. I can relate to that guy. He's kind of like me. Um, and it, Al Gore was the opposite. He He was talking about these. He was so in a climate change back then. And people were like, all right, all right, enough, dude. That's we right. get it. Yeah, okay, yeah. the climate. Nobody knew that he was ahead yeah. of his time with that stuff. But yeah, W was a little more relatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think there's more ways to have fun with this debate stuff. I don't know what the answer is. It's so it's so weighty and serious. And yeah. Yeah, I, I don't stuff know. Stuff like this. Maybe this is the answer. These yeah. weird podcasts. Who have, is the greatest have, basketball player of all time? Have you put in- You have to answer. To LeBron. Have, have you put in- Oh my in, God, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. Who, who's the greatest basketball player? Not of all LeBron. Time? Well, tell it's me. Michael who. Jordan. Oh. Why did he lose? What, what, why did he lose his title? Yeah. See, that's a that's a millennial response. You, you connected with the millennials, though, just that. I'm connecting with they my are, son, Ulysses. 35 <laughs> and under, I'll think LeBron is the best ever. They've pushed Jordan out. Yeah. They just know Jordan as like the bad Charlotte Hornets owner. Yeah. I remember. So I, I'm <laughs> born in 72. The, yeah. the first person who really caught my attention was Larry Bird. Uh, uh, and now, and now you want me back. Yeah. It didn't take yeah. long. You yeah. want me back. I'm, I'm trying. I'm not going to give up. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I interviewed Larry Bird and Obama uh-huh. within a month of each other in 2012. Wow. And I was, why didn't you just hang it up after then? I should have. Yeah. I was way more nervous for Larry Bird and yeah. Obama was the uh, president about to be second term president. Yeah. And Bird, but Bird's like six, nine. The height thing is of like, when you're talking to somebody like this, like the big giant dudes, that was another thing with magic too. Magic six, nine. The height thing. Yeah. Um, this was fun. Thank you for good doing luck. It. Good luck with all this stuff. Gracias. Say hi to the fam. I will. Thank Say hi to Ulysses. I will. Say tell him uh more than five words in an email next time. I will. I told him I was I just sent him an email this morning and told him I was gonna be on your show. So he's gonna be stoked about he's that. He's like, I don't care. I'll see you later. Yeah. He won't even respond. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. All right. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Simply Safe. They make home security easy. No contract, hidden fees, or fine print. $15 a month, 24-7 professional monitoring throughout your home. Revolutionary video verification technology to visually confirm that break-ins are happening live. Please to get to you three and a half times faster. SimplySafe.com slash BS. Simply Safe with two eyes. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. SimplySafe.com slash BS. Thanks to Square. These days, Square is more than a little white credit card reader. It's a whole system of tools built to run and grow any kind of business from point of sale and payroll to invoices and online stores. Go to square.com slash go slash BS to see all the ways you can take your business from square one to whatever's next. Again, we will see you a little bit after lunch Monday on the BS podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to The Hottest Take on Spotify. 
And a very special rewatchables coming next week as well. A very, very special rewatchables middle of next week. Stay tuned for that. Enjoy the weekend and uh, we'll see you on Monday.